0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At Dobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs.
1: For deals you can use, click on Dobbs.com now. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Ooh. Yeah, hit well, white center field off
0: the bat of Donovan. And nice of Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio, courtesy of ESPN. Brendan Donovan? Donovan? Yeah. Depends on who you listen to, I suppose. He's done it again. Yes. With a home run yesterday no. in the no, Cardinals spring training game. No. And this is becoming a theme to spring training so far, is that. Brendan Donovan, I've got to save myself from doing what we just heard there by Carl Ravitch. He's starting to hit the ball with authority. I think that home run was hit, if I'm not mistaken, at about 99 miles per hour off of the bat. This offseason, he had a mandate from himself, not the team or anybody, to go out and find a way to hit the ball harder. Alex, you know, I'm I'm all in on the metrics, right? I love looking at the numbers. There are certain guys, though, that the numbers are just never going to be particularly kind to. Even in 2021, when Dylan Carlson was quite productive for the Cardinals, if you go to his baseball savant page, you're not going to be impressed. He wasn't a guy that hit the ball very hard. He's not super athletic when it comes to, like, the sprint speed numbers. Nothing about Dylan Carlson on paper will impress you. The same thing, honestly, is kind of true about Brendan Donovan. He's got a really good eye. He takes a lot of pitches. He, when he hits the ball, it sprays to all fields. So it ends up getting a higher batting average than what you would otherwise expect. But like his baseball savant page is not going to be super impressive. His goal this offseason was to change that. His goal this offseason was was to come back in 2023 and become a player that whether you're looking at a piece of paper or you're just watching him day to day, you will appreciate what he brings to the table. The reason why I bring this up is because when you're watching him, it's starting to look like you would expect a 2023 starting middle infielder to look like. Good defensively also brings great on base and a decent amount of pop to the plate. And then you watch what we're seeing right now from Nolan Gorman. And, man, I'm not saying it's a competition at second base. But there is a chance that Cardinals fans will feel good coming out of spring training with multiple options starting for you on any given day at second base. This is turning out to be maybe the most compelling competition. Yes, maybe even more so than in the outfield. Going into spring training, is what's taking place right now at second base slash DH for the Cardinals. And
2: before spring training start, I would have laughed at you saying that because I didn't look at Nolan Gorman as having an opportunity to make that competition. Nolan Gorman was slated to be the DH with occasional second base opportunities, but those opportunities would have probably gone pretty slim by the end of the season because of his shortcomings at the defensive side of that position. That's not the case anymore, and. Now you do have two internal competitions that are going to be really entertaining to watch. And I guess three, if you want to toss in Nolan Gorman, because he plays a hand in both of them, the DH and the second baseman yeah. spot. But man, the defensive plays that we've seen from him in these last couple of spring training games yesterday, uh, more so than any, I mean, a play up the middle of the field for him to get to that ball and make the double play with Mason Wynn, or as Carl likes to call him, Mason Wien. Nolan Gorman seems to have the agility that you need at that spot. Now, maybe it's not to the level of what Tommy Yetman has been for you at that position, but it's better than what I expected. So if Nolan, it, Brendan Donovan's bat is going to be the difference maker in this because Donovan had the upper hand over Gorman because of his defense at that position. Even if Nolan Gorman has the better bat, you were looking at it and saying, yeah, but we don't want to have a problem there. If Nolan Gorman can be this player defensively for you and put them on even level. I'd be a little curious where Brendan Donovan, if he becomes a DH option there, if Nolan Gorman can play.
3: I I think where Donovan will still have the edges, I still will be his on base percentage because he will get on base at a higher clip than Gorman. But if you have a two headed monster that can play second base and Gorman that has some power and Donovan, who can also play around the infield. Let's not forget he won the gold glove as the super utility guy last year then you're looking at a team that's going to be really well positioned because I would have told you, you know, sure, they can pluck and play Donovan and put him in, say, the outfield for a game, or they can put him at short if Edmund needs a day off and DeYoung can't go for some reason. I would say, okay, well, second base is probably going to be a problem because Nolan Gorman's defense, but his defense looks improved. His range looks better based on the three games that we've seen early on here in spring training. Yes, that's a small sample size, but it's very noticeable, and defense is something that will... Unlike where we talk about sometimes offensively, where, oh, you know, you can do this in spring, but we'll carry over in the regular season. More your defense improvements in the spring are going to carry over into the regular season. And that's been impressive with Nolan Gorman. And if Donovan is adding pop to his game and, and he's changed his stance, he's more upright now at the plate than he was last year going into spring training. I said this yesterday when we talked briefly on this on The Rewind. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could potentially be an all-star at second base because he's going to be hitting for power. He's going to bring up the slugging percentage. I still believe he's going to get on base because he's got such a great batter's eye to where that OPS number starts to creep up, and he's going to be scoring a bunch of runs at the top of this order. There's a chance that Donovan could be one of those uh, sneaky kind of sleepers to be an all-star if he adds this power to his game.
0: Yeah, I think Brendan Donovan, and, and this is what we talked about a little bit in the outfield conversation as well, is that we've got to start thinking about this less of a, this is your starting second baseman, he's going to play there every day. This is your starting right field, or he's going to play there every day, and more of a they're going to play most of the time type of a conversation. And it might be different. Brendan Donovan, like, if you look at a, a week span, where is he going to start? He's probably going to start at second, like four days out of the week. Four of the six games you expect to see Brendan Donovan at second. And maybe there's one day that he starts at DH and one day that he starts in the outfield as well. Maybe with Nolan Gorman, it's three days as a dh one day at second base and one day at third base and now you've got both of them they're starting the vast majority of the games on a week-to-week basis but they're doing so in different spots and they're getting different reps depending on what the situation is the other thing is like if you're going up against a for some reason or another there's three lefties that are starting on one week Maybe Nolan Gorman gets fewer opportunities in that week, and he's somebody that's going to come off of the bench for you. This team, and one of the reasons why I'm so high on the offense, is because of the options that Ollie Marmol has available to him. I was talking with a buddy about this the other day. If this team had a different manager, I'm not sure I would feel about as good about the offense as I do with Ollie in charge. And the reason why is because I do believe He's going to get the best out of all of these guys. He's going to put them in the best positions to succeed, which is the whole goal of coaching. I don't always feel that way about managers, though. There have been times in the past where if you had this many options, I'm just being totally honest, I'm not sure Mike Matheny would have got the best out of this team. I think you would have seen guys pigeonholed, where instead of starting occasionally at second base, I think Nolan Gorman would have been primarily just used as your DH every single day. I think you would have seen just three guys starting every day in the outfield and probably getting worn down by the end of the season. And that's going to be a different look than what we're going to see with this team. On the topic of Brendan Donovan, Ollie was asked about him and the improved power yesterday during the ESPN broadcast. Wanted to play this for you because, again, this goes back to my theme of the spring training. It's not just about what you're seeing. It's was this a goal for players during the offseason and how does that improve here's what all he had to say about Brendan Donovan improving his power
2: man it's, it's fun when you see these guys they go into the offseason with something specific that they're wanting to work on being able to do a little bit more damage pull side while not getting away from his ability to use the whole field and spray it to the backside. and uh he's done it twice now where he's just really taking a, a a strong swing and uh got the ball off the ground and that's a that's a really good one right there
0: That was Ollie Marmel yesterday during the broadcast on ESPN. Makes me wonder. I brought up this comparison last year during the season, and I want to be clear. This player that I'm about to bring up had more pop early in his career than we saw last year from Brendan Donovan. But when I think back to the early years of Matt Carpenter, he was known as a guy that was going to hit for a decent average. He was going to get on base at this crazy high cliff. And he was going to hit for a little bit of power. His first year in the big leagues, played 115 games, only had six home runs that year, had 22 doubles. Year two, his second full season, hit 55 doubles that year and 10 home runs. Alex, when you look at what the Cardinals have right now in Brendan Donovan, do you think that he can develop the way that Matt Carpenter did with some of that power?
2: No, I don't, because I don't know if that power is ever going to offset the type of player he is like Matt Carpenter turned into a guy that developed into a power hitter and I don't know if Brendan Donovan will ever do that I don't even know if Brendan Donovan is ever going to get over 12 home runs in a season and maybe I'm completely wrong this year he just seems like an on-base kind of guy he seems like the type of Matt Carpenter that we saw in the early portion of his career so I don't know if the power ever gets to Matt Carpenter level. And frankly, I don't know if I want to. I'm talking
0: early Matt Carpenter, where like the first three seasons, these were his numbers. His first year in 115 games, 22 doubles, six home runs. His second year, 55 doubles. That was the franchise record. 11 home runs. Year three, 33 doubles, eight home runs. I don't even know if the doubles are going to be there for him. Because
2: like what you said in the open, he's a guy who who sprays the ball all across the field. He's a guy who's going to take his pitches when he needs to. And, And maybe I'm off on this one. Maybe what we've seen through spring training actually develops into a guy who's going to be more aggressive in the batter's box. He, he just, to me, seems like if he's going to be that leadoff guy, it's going to be all about getting on base and it's not going to be about showcasing that power. He'll show it every once in a while, but I don't know if you ever get to those numbers like Matt Carpenter.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if he'll get to Carpenter numbers even in those first three years that you're referencing, but can he be like 70% of that? I would say so. I, I think he could do that. I, I think putting Carpenter on that level of bringing him power, his power up to that point might just be too high of a goal but could i see donovan going for 10 home runs 25 to 30 doubles while hitting 280 and getting on base a decent clip this year yeah i could i, I just don't know if he'll be able to put up the carpenter numbers because what carpenter did in his first three years was just incredible and, and i just don't know if donovan's gonna hit for the doubles that's kind of the one for me And i, I don't know if that home run power though it's impressive early on i will be curious to see if it translates it's hard to hit the home runs in, in bush back then i don't think the I think the park was more a hitter not hitter friendly but wasn't it's as pitcher so, yeah. friendly as it is today
0: yeah i, I don't think he's ever going to be like a 25 home run guy i do think he can get to 10 to 15 i think that's very much within the range of outcomes for him and like last year he had 22 doubles could he get to 35 this year i think it's very much in play that he could be that and if you suddenly have a player at second base that's a plus defender gets on base at a 360 plus clip the way that you had early on from Matt Carpenter and he's hitting 30 plus doubles 10 to 15 home runs you mentioned it Tanner I think that's an all-star like or at least a borderline all-star candidate for them somebody on the text line said that they think he's going to be a little bit more like uh, what the Mets have in Jeff McNeil I don't think he's going to hit for that kind of average in the future I think last year might have been a bit of a mirage where he settles in more to like a 260, 270 type of an average, but he still has that really high on base percentage because of his batter's eye. Um, I'm really excited about what we're watching right now from Brendan Donovan. If there was any one thing, you know what? It's the the same thing for both of them. There was one thing you could see from Nolan Gorman in spring training. It was the defense. That is improved. If there was one thing that I could see that would be improved from Brendan Donovan in spring training, it would be the power. When you combine both of those factors going into spring, I think what you're going to find is that Brendan Donovan can be that everyday second baseman that ends up being your leadoff hitter. And I think what you'll see is that for Nolan Gorman, He could potentially be a six-hole hitter for the Cardinals in 2023, starting at DH most days and having an opportunity to play at second base or third occasionally. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic. Excited to get his thoughts on what he's going to be looking for from the newest blue, Cappy. Excited to see him in a note uniform tonight. But coming up next, which Cardinals player, Are you most curious to watch the rest of spring training? Want to get to your thoughts? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll also hear who Ollie Marmel had to say is his most intriguing player the rest of camp. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back
1: to the BK and Ferrario podcast
0: presented by
1: Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: So, if you could watch one player, one player, the rest of Cardinal spring training, who would it be? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic. But Alex, that was a question that Ollie Marmol was ex- uh, was asked about yesterday, and he was asked specifically, "All right, who's who's the guy? Who's the guy that you're most excited to look uh, to see the rest of camp? Maybe somebody that people aren't talking about." Who do you guys, out of curiosity, let's go around the room first. Who do you think, because you guys have not heard this, who do you think Ollie mentioned? He was asked, who's the guy that I need to watch? He was asked this by Jim Bowden. Who's the guy that I need to get my eyes on while I'm here at Cardinals camp? Who do you think that Ollie Marmel said?
2: Well, he's a big fan of Ferrario, of BK and Ferrario, so it's got to be Lil' Poppy.
3: Yeah, I, Gomez would definitely be one. I saw the image of him looking at him in the batting cage. Yeah, I uh, saw that. I could see where some Infatuated. of the like relievers was swinging and miss stuff. So like Rodriguez would be one of them. I could see he. I would think Wynn would be up there, but I don't know. That might be Paul DeYoung for all I know. It better not be Paul DeYoung.
0: All right. what's here? This don't is on you, MLB Network Radio. Yesterday, don't you Who? give us Paul DeYoung, under the radar player that Ollie Marmol thinks former Major League Baseball general manager jim Bowden should be paying attention to as he's at cardinals camp
2: i honestly will put it on the pitching side and say that i'm very excited to see drew verhagen go through this camp and open up some eyes yeah what <laughs> what
3: i forgot what about verhagen? Verhagen. Okay, that was
2: a memo sent from the front office by john mosey to ollie marmal to say hey ollie we
0: uh we need to pump the uh We need to pump up Drew Verhagen. I'm telling you guys, I listened to the entire interview that he did on MLB Network Radio yesterday. He did not only mention him once. He mentioned Drew Verhagen multiple times in that interview as a guy that is worth monitoring because the Cardinals are looking for swing and miss coming out of their bullpen, and he thinks coming off of that surgery for his hip... He believes that he is going to have a real impact this year coming out of the bullpen. Now, I know all of you in the text line right now are skeptical, and I get it. It is well-deserved after the performance that we saw last year from Drew Verhagen. Let me give a bit, a bit of a disclaimer here, though. None of us going into last year thought that Ryan Helsley would have been that player. And I'm not saying that Drew Verhagen is going to be Ryan Helsley. But the reason why Helsley did not perform previously Was because of an injury issue that we were unaware of until he got it cleaned up in his knee, and then suddenly, the knee was healthy and coming into last year looked like a completely different pitcher, and it was immediately clear. Oh, they've got something here with Ryan Helsley and what he is doing right now. And then he said publicly, "Hey, you know, my knee, like my my leg, just felt healthy. I was actually able to get my release point on track. I was able to get that plant link, like it." It completely changed who I could be as a pitcher, and I didn't realize how much it was affecting me previously. Drew VerHagen apparently had a real hip issue last year that he didn't realize at the time how much it was impacting him, and then he got surgic tr- he got it surgically repaired. So this is not just something that they made up to put him on the IL. We know that happens sometimes. So he's like a robot now. So the reason why I bring this up is because what if he's right? Like and just follow me down this path. What if Drew VerHagen does end up becoming a player that they can count on? That is the guy that they signed last year to be a swing and miss reliever coming out of that bullpen.
2: Okay, but my my rebuttal to that would be: Has he always been injured? Because I'm looking at his numbers overall throughout his career, and and it's never been a guy that you look at and you
0: say, I could have said the same thing about Miles Michaelis though. Miles Michaelis before he went overseas was not a very good pitcher in the big leagues, and then but he came overseas to the he was. Yeah, Drew Verhagen, I think, was pretty successful overseas. Yeah, he was pretty
3: good overseas, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. You get excited for him all you want, but I'm not buying in. Uh, The the only reason I'm even bringing him up, because he would not be my player. Like, as as we discussed the player that you're most curious to see the rest of camp, Drew Verhagen would not have even approached my list. But when the Cardinals manager brings him up as somebody that is worth keeping an eye on after we heard the comments from Ollie last year that were... Pretty critical, I would say, of the player that Verhagen was, the pitcher that he was. I think it's at least worth noting that he's bringing him up. Tanner, what was your reaction when you heard that?
3: I, I mean, I was kind of with Alex. I, I'm skeptical just because of what I saw last year. But I did, I did before you said it, think of the Helsley situation. Because I remember Katie saying to us, last year during spring training, hey, keep an eye on Helsley. And I went, what? No.
0: Uh, but Our I, reaction then, let's keep in mind, was very similar to our reaction right now with Drew Verhagen. But
3: I, I think the difference between where I could kind of see where she could go with Helsley was Helsley was always a flamethrower. Ver, Verhagen's not that. Now, he does have Got good breaking stuff and spins great and all, but if you are not don't have an electric fastball, I don't know how well it will pair with that. So I... I I still find myself skeptical of it. To your question of what does it mean for the Cardinals if Verhagen ends up being good, solid middle reliever slash maybe six starter in a pinch, depending on how Hudson performs in spring training. like I don't think there's much upside in terms of, hey, if Verhagen ends up being really good, what could his role be? Maybe it's the seventh inning, but even then, I would be skeptical of them putting him in the seventh inning because I think you've got better options there. I think he's I'm more of just. Sure do. I think he's more of just a middle reliever slash long reliever slash six starter.
0: The reason why I bring this up is because I one of my biggest concerns about the Cardinals going into this year is that I don't even know if you want to call it middle inning reliever, but like seventh inning. I, I feel really good about the eighth and ninth. Gallegos and Helsley they they're established, and barring something unforeseen, I I think they're going to be fine this year. I don't know who they're going to pitch in the seventh inning regularly. Like, I think Polante's fine, but I do have a little bit of concern about his lack of swing and miss. And he did struggle at times last year going up against right-handed hitters. They hit him really hard at times. I, I don't know what to expect this year out of Jordan Hicks. He could be great, or it could look like it did at times last year where he couldn't find the strike zone. I- if Drew Verhagen, if this is real... And his spin is back to where it was previously. And while he doesn't have crazy velocity, he is a guy that can throw 95. Uh, maybe he could find his way into that mix of you feel comfortable throwing him out there in the seventh. It sounds crazy right now, but if he starts c- to come on a little bit, he's somebody that I do think is worth monitoring the rest of spring training. Alex, for you, if I ask you this question, who is your guy that you're watching and you want to monitor the rest of spring training?
2: It's Moises Gomez. And... Lil Poppy, understandably so. But I I just think he's going to be an element for the DH. I saw Ollie mention the biggest thing for him is just not chasing those low and away off-speed pitches. But, I mean, I I saw that first at-bat that he took in spring training where he hammered the ball and got a double out of it. He's slow. He's not going to be in the outfield for you. But if you can find a way to get some pitch recognition on his side, he's got the power to give you that DH presence. So uh, he's the one for me. I'm going to keep watching the rest of the way. T-Bone?
3: I, I have two that come to mind, and I don't know if either. I, well, I'm pretty sure one won't make the roster, and that's Mason Wynn. I, I think he's been really impressive in the first three games. Yesterday, he didn't record a hit, but he did get on base uh, twice, and he scored two runs, I believe. It, or, excuse me, he got on base once because of an error, but he scored twice because he was a pinch runner. He's been impressive early on in camp. And then the other one for me, and I tweeted out about him yesterday, is this Ryan Lutis kid. I, I really love his kind it's of repertoire that he has. He's he's my Palante from last year, because last year I was high on Palante before we even got into spring training, and he made the team out of camp. Ludus has a breaking ball that kind of reminds me of what Palante's was when we first saw it. Really good spin on the curveball. His fastball, it ticked up to 96 yesterday, but it wasn't sitting at that constantly, so I don't know what was up there. But he was impressive. He's got some swing and miss stuff. He recorded uh, strikeouts, so... He's another guy that I've got my eye on in spring training.
0: Mine is less of an under-the-radar player because you guys took most of the good ones there. I I would say it's Dylan Carlson. I think Dylan Carlson is fighting for his starting life right now in spring training. I don't know that he's going to be in the starting lineup going into opening day. And even if he is, I think right now he's probably projecting as like a 7 or an 8 hitter in your lineup. I I think that he needs to have a very good spring training to, to track the way that they were hoping that he would. Uh, So for me, the rest of the spring training, the guy that I am most looking forward to watching on a regular basis is Dylan Carlson, because I think he's going to get a ton of opportunities with Newt and O'Neill heading out to the World Baseball Classic. My, my guy would be Dylan Carlson. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to your questions. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service. Text line for questions and answers. We'll have some questions for Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic coming up next on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest-growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world, and the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms, and you can
3: also find it on UAPpodcast.com.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the rutherford report on 101 espn anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey here we go
0: alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn and right now we're going out to the brown and Crippen celebrity line to be joined by our friend blues insider for the athletic he's jeremy rutherford joining us here on the show jr we appreciate the time as always my friend how you doing today
4: Doing well, yeah. Glad you guys are taking back over so you can get it back on track after that update there, Tanner. That Come might have on, been brother. the worst
2: update that's ever been done on 101 ESPN.
0: <laughs> of a, no, no. What? Who? No. Who? No. I heard somebody try to figure out who Andy Dalton was oh. at one point in time. Well, <laughs> give Rocky a little break. You know, he I'm works. pretty sure at the time, me and uh, Jamie, just to take people behind the scenes, were out at the SLU golf event. No, I don't remember when that. When it was roughly 25 degrees outside, I Boy, was cuddled was like a, up next to a heater. It was like a fountain coming out of that. It was not good. It was not good for anybody involved in, in particular. It was not good for Alex Ferrario, who was trying to remember who Andy Dalton was. So we'll try to find that audio before the end. Of this segment uh jr i did want to ask you about the move that the blues made over the weekend they bring in caspery kapanen what are you expecting him to bring to this team
4: i think he's a guy we've talked to the last 24 hours ever since he got in here that's going to bring some speed and some skill uh fortunately the blues were playing the pittsburgh penguins when the blues made that claim so i was able to kind of go down press row and check in with the Pittsburgh Riders and see what they thought it just didn't work out in Pittsburgh Ron Hextall brought him in on the two year deal 3.2 AAV and you know just kind of inconsistent kind of perimeter oriented maybe didn't show some of the same stuff he showed in Toronto but nonetheless as Ron Hextall pointed out he was a half a point per game player so uh, that's what he's been throughout his career 300 plus games he's been a half a point per game guy and he's going to jump in and and play this uh, second line tonight with Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich guys. And, you know, I asked Doug Armstrong yesterday, does that what he projects as in St. Louis moving forward? Can he be a top six guy? And, you know, he said, we'll see. So they're hoping to fill out the roster a little bit in the off season. And, and in the meantime, uh, Kapanen's going to have to earn his role in that top six if that's where he wants to be coming into camp next year.
2: JR, was this more of and this is more your opinion than anything, but was this more of Doug Armstrong looking at the field of free agents this off season and saying, man, there's, we're going to have to overpay for somebody who might not fit in. Or was this more of, I want that internal competition for a player like Kapanen who can come in and put individuals.
4: I think it was probably the former, what you said first, uh, Doug Armstrong pointed that out yesterday. He said, this kind of takes us out of a search for that type of player this off season. And obviously they're looking at the unrestricted free agents and trade possibilities this off season. And, and plus it gets the guy in here, you know, what he, where he fits in and, and how he looks and sitting at the cap and stall yesterday. He's excited about this opportunity. Obviously every time you get a new guy in the locker room, they're looking for a fresh start, but it just did not work out in Pittsburgh. And it got to the point where, you know, they needed to move him just because they were trying to bring a couple guys back and couldn't get them on under the salary cap. So it was a move that Pittsburgh had to make. And, and Craig Bruby himself said the other day, uh, they saw it, and they wanted to jump at it. They believe that this is a guy who's got some talent that uh, probably just needed a new scenery.
2: If that's the case, JR, and obviously it's a lot of unknown, but does this take them out of the forward market for the off season and focus more on the defensive side if they're looking to retool or retrench this team, as Doug Armstrong calls it?
4: I think they're kind of connected. And, and when I say that, uh, the Blues, they're going to be down to, what, uh, $10 million or so. Uh, with just 15 players signed, and that's not a lot of space to, to bring in uh, some guys in, on, on both ends, both the front and the back. So I think that when I say they're connected, you're probably going to have to move a defenseman out if that opportunity presents itself to bring in another forward. The money's just going to be tight moving forward. So I think it's a situation where, yeah, you'd like to bring in more, and perhaps Kapanen slips down and he's in your top nine if you're able to bring in a top six guy. We mentioned that they were in on Timo Meyer. That didn't work out. He goes to New Jersey. I think the Blues will continue to look, but that's going to be predicated on what can they do with the defense. I think that's going to be Doug Armstrong's number one priority in the offseason. I, I can't imagine that it would happen before the deadline. That's not to say that it won't, uh, but I think in the offseason, he's going to try to move one of those guys and give that defense a different look.
0: So you don't expect anything to take place with the blue line prior to this week's deadline, Jr.
4: So it could, uh, I have heard in the past week or so that, uh, you know, that moving a defenseman is a priority. You know, I've heard Colton Preko's name pop up as we have with other reports outside of St. Louis. To my knowledge, Colton Preko, who has a no trade clause has not been presented with anything. We know that that can happen in a moment's notice. For example, you can talk to Tarasenko and his camp five minutes before Doug Armstrong calls. They've heard nothing then all of a sudden Doug Armstrong calls and he's going to the New York Rangers. Same thing with Colton Preco. I would just have to believe that uh, if Colton Pareko, and continuing to use him as an example, gets that phone call, this is a guy who loves St. Louis, signed an eight-year deal, plans to be here. I would think that he would need more than five minutes like Vladimir Tarasenko made his decision and hmm. to make that type of decision. So when I say that uh, I don't think it'll happen before the deadline, of course it can, but I would think some more time and thinking would go into it uh, more than what the blues have before that deadline.
2: We've talked a lot about this Jr. And I know there's some uncertainty with it, but how do they go about reshaping this defense? I mean, Scott Perinovich you would imagine plays into this scenario and the massive contracts you got to talk about. They have guys, but the guys that they've got in the minors with the exception of Scott Perinovich all project to be bottom pairing defensemen.
4: Yeah. and, And I think you're right. I think that when you look at this, how do you do it? Well, I think number one is, you know, it just hasn't worked with the top four. We all know that. Uh, can it work coming into camp next year? I suppose it could. Maybe it was an off year for a couple of these guys, and Tory Krug's been banged up with injuries. But I think if you're Doug Armstrong and you come back with that same group and it continues to perform the way it did this year and it didn't work, people are saying, I told you so. What did you do this offseason? So I think he's going to continue to explore that. I think that's why I've heard some. Of, we've heard some of these names pop up uh, in the rumor mill. Uh, but a guy like Tory Krug, you know, I focused a lot here on Colton Prick already. Let's switch to Tory Krug. You know, he's been banged up, and he's got four more years after this year at that 6.5. If you're a team considering that, maybe you do it with a couple of years. I don't know that you do that with a guy who's had an injury-riddled season and has four more years left. So if you move Nick Letty out, does that change this group enough where you got the other three coming back? And I don't think Justin Falk is the guy, if you had to pick, that you'd have moving out. So that's why everything seems to always circle back to colton pareko but the bottom line on that one is let's say the blues do want to move him let's say there's a team out there that wants him my question would be what is doug armstrong trying to get back in return is he trying to make a hockey trade will he brings a good player prospect pick here to st louis or is he trying to offload the seven years remaining on that contract i don't know his motivation there and i think that's what it would come down to if they were trying to move him
0: Talking to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford in order to find all of his great work. Uh, JR, the other move that they've made, we haven't talked to you since, was the Ivan Barbashev trade. And you mentioned bringing back a potential prospect in return. That's what they did with Barbie instead of getting a pick. Did that indicate anything to you other than just that they liked the prospects that they were able to get from the Vegas Golden Knights?
4: Yeah, not too much. I think uh, that I I did hear that uh, Doug Armstrong has really liked this prospect going back to the draft year a couple years ago. Vegas gets them at number 30 or overall in the 2021 draft. Um, I look at it a couple different ways. Let's hypothetically say that uh, San Jose bites on the Blues offer. I believe the Blues are offering a couple first-round picks, uh, probably not their own. So you're looking at those later first-round picks from Toronto and from the New York uh, Rangers. You know, if, if they bite on that and that drops the Blues down to just one first-round pick instead of three, then maybe Doug tries to you know, find a first-round pick somewhere around the league. Uh, but I think the fact that the Blues didn't make that deal, they have three first-round picks, as he mentioned yesterday, you want to get a player in the system who's going to be ready sooner than later. That's what this is all about, right? We've been talking about sooner than later. Kapanen comes in. Uh, so I think they get a really good prospect, Zach Dean. I've heard nothing but good things about this guy, and he's going to turn pro next year. So he could be in Springfield or you know, he plays his way up for some NHL time. We'll see. Uh, but I think it was a great deal for the Blues, I think, throughout this uh, trade deadline we're calling it that but it, it you know we're still a few days away from it mm-hmm. doug armstrong got a lot of work done early and it looks like uh, you got to give him an a on what he's done uh getting guys back for the unrestricted free agents that he was going to lose anyway so uh, you get a prospect back in this situation i think this was the right call
2: speaking of nhl ready players here it's a sad day in st louis um Remember member of the Ferrari 05, Yessi Pooley-Arvey, was traded to Carolina for absolutely nothing. Uh, can you can you raise my, my spirits a little bit higher and tell me that the Blues were in on that?
4: <laughs> I just saw that come across my laptop, uh, pull Harvey to uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, and, and that's a move they probably needed to make. Um, and so he's not come to St. Louis, so this extinguishes another Ferrari 05. Yeah. Out of all the ones I've heard, and I listen to the station a lot, I still think probably the Martin Furk was the only one that hit.
2: Uh, no, whoa, 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 JR.
1: JR. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. Pavel
2: Buchnevich is the legendary member yeah. of the Ferrari 05.
4: What, what about Arenado? Is he in there too? No, that was just that Mr. Stood. 95. Yeah. That
2: put me on the map, and then the 95, I, 95. I established myself on the map with Buchnevich. And then Martin yeah, Furk was just mostly. cheery.
4: Yeah, Buchnevich, day. So, uh, so sorry about that one. Kudos getting that one right. <laughs> I can't believe you would forget that one. That
2: was the one that really Jerry, mattered. Jerry, you voice. hate me,
0: don't you? I understand it. Jerry, what are you watching? <laughs> when you're watching these games right now, like Blue's taking on the Kraken tonight, what are you watching for? Anything interesting going on?
4: Uh, you know, I think right now it's it's got to be the leadership. Uh, you know, who knows if Ryan O'Reilly comes back. But right after these trades were made, we did not see a very good play. By the leaders, uh, by the guys on this team who need to be showing the way, and I think uh, you get down to these last twenty-three games or so. That's what you—that's what you need. Because guess what? Coming back next season, uh, you know, as it sits right now, there's not another player that's going to come in and be as high-profile as what you've got. I, I don't see it. You know, so you're looking at the Braden Shens, the Justin Fox, uh, the Tory Krug's, and unless he were moved, so we can talk about all the prospects, the Jake Neighbors, you know, those types of guys that are going to be the future of this team, Uh, but unless there's leadership in place and these guys showing that, uh, hey, follow me, just like Ryan O'Reilly did on a daily basis, and I think the Blues are in some trouble, so that's what I want to see down the stretch.
0: Jeremy Rutherford, find all of his great work over at The Athletic and be sure to follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, enjoy the game tonight. We appreciate the time, as always. We'll talk with you again next week.
4: All right, I'll apologize again tonight, Alex, when you sit next to me at the game, I'll save you a That's seat. all right, Jar.
2: Jar, I saved you a Ferrari 05 t-shirt, so don't worry. You're number one on the <laughs> Ferrari 05.
4: 3X. Bring it tonight, buddy. <laughs> Love to see it. That's
2: Jeremy Rutherford.
0: Always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. Alex, are are you feeling like there's going to be anything done with the the defenseman at the deadline. Cause it feels like that's really yeah. the last thing that's possible for them to do. Maybe there's a Thomas Greif's move out there somewhere. I I'm skeptical on yeah, that. I don't but see that happening. Realistically speaking, it, it does feel like the only move if there is one to be made is on the blue line.
2: I, I mean, I'm more, I'm growing more and more skeptical hearing everyone talk about how this seems like it could be an off season thing. Uh, 32 thoughts podcast brought up Jacob Chikrin and the blues once again, which of course is kind of the endless rumor. I do find it interesting, though, that the Edmonton Oilers do make this trade and, and get rid of $3 million in cap space. Uh, I don't believe Edmonton's probably even interested in Colton Pareko or Tori Krug. But never say never with this, because somebody's going to be desperate enough to try and add to their roster, and that desperation might take them to the point of taking on a massive contract, whether it's Krug or Pareco. But it, it is starting to feel more and more like this is probably setting up for an offseason situation, because... Those are the only guys available left, and it's not an easy task to get done. I mean, look how long it's taken this Patrick Kane deal to take place, and that's a a UFA. So uh, I think it's going to be more of an offseason thing, but with Doug Armstrong, I never say never.
0: Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what matters more for Jordan Walker's ability to make the opening day roster? His performance? or the performance of the other outfielders in the mix. We'll talk about that coming up at noon, but coming up next, questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314 314 three nine 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 six four six vk and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn brought to you by james carlton with state farm have drivers under 25 on your insurance save hundreds of
0: dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. in 10 minutes. We'll talk about Jordan Walker. What makes what matters more for him to make the opening day roster? Is it his performance or the performance of the outfielders around him? We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. But right now, let's get to some of your questions. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line four questions and answers. Let's get to this from the 618. Alex, what do you think are the odds that Ryan O'Reilly still comes back and signs with the Blues this offseason?
2: I'd put it at 60-40. He doesn't come back. Part of me wants to say 50-50 because I know how much Ryan O'Reilly loves St. Louis and I know how much his family loves St. Louis. And this seems a lot like the Keith Kachuk situation where they traded him away and they said, we need to get some assets. You're pending UFA, but it was kind of like a we know you're going to be back. I, I could see that happening with O'Reilly. My only hesitancy with that is is he going to be willing to come back for less? Because now you've acquired Kapanen. That's $3.2 million. JR mentioned that you only got 10 mil in spots available for you and you got to fill a roster. But. A lot of that hinges on the leadership if this team doesn't figure it out from now until the end of the season i could absolutely see them calling ryan o'reilly and say i think we need you back here so um i'd put it at 60 40 that he doesn't but i feel more like it's a 50 50 shot
3: interesting see i i i agree with where you're coming from on the fact of you know if we don't see leadership down the stretch here that it would make a ton of sense to bring back o'reilly but I, I, I had questions on this team when O'Reilly was here in terms of leadership and stuff like that. So I I put it more at, like, 2080 that he'll be back because I, it just doesn't feel like an Armstrong move. I think if Armstrong – if Army wanted him here, Ryan O'Reilly would be wearing the blue note in tonight's game. So I, I just – I, I needed don't see those it happening. Assets.
2: You needed that equity and a UFA. I, I get
3: it, but I, I think with a player like Ryan O'Reilly, if you truly view him as a you know leader in that locker room, the captain of your team, the face of your franchise, you, you don't trade him away even if you're going through a retool. And the Blues clearly think this isn't going to take long based on what they keep saying publicly. So I, I, I would put it at 2080. I just don't think they ever truly wanted to bring back Ryan O'Reilly. I think they looked at the aging curve and went, well, we thought we were going to go on around with him one final time. We didn't. We traded him away and so long. Here's the one thing I will say on that.
2: A, a, barring some type of trade of your defenseman, your defense is locked up next year. You've got 10 of 12 spots at the forward position that are already accounted for. And you got multiple guys that they're expecting to have an impact from the minors up top. So the $10 million you've got, it's not like you're going to be throwing that at one player. If he's willing to come back at three mil per year and give them four years, I, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that because a lot of the other spots are going to be filled
0: by minor leaguers who are making league minimum. I hear you. He's not coming back for $3 million. It's just not happening. Um, I I would put it at like 90-10, not going to be returning. When we, we've seen this with... Doug Armstrong, when he decides to move on, he moves on. And we've seen it with David Perron. We saw it with, God, at this point, a half dozen, maybe more players that we thought, oh, there's no way they end up leaving. And then they all leave. If they go into the season of their walk year without a deal, almost without fail, they end up not re-signing here in St. Louis. Trangelo, Perron, and now O'Reilly being the three most recent examples of this. I do not think he's going to be back in St. Louis at this point. I would bet against it uh, in a significant way from the 314 guys. Do you think that Ollie Marmel is going to have one of the toughest jobs in baseball when it comes to finalizing the opening day roster? I don't think Ollie's necessarily making all of those decisions. I think that that will come in tandem with the front office. I do think that compared to normal, the Cardinals have more legitimate decisions to make. I think they've got a competition taking place in the outfield. We're talking about just like the opening day, 26 man roster Uh, competition in the outfield. I think you got a competition for DH. And I think you've got a competition for lefties coming out of the bullpen and maybe middle inning relievers as a righty. That's a decent amount of competition compared to most years. Most years you have like one of those. I I, I think you got to determine and define
2: hard job for Holly Marmall because I don't think it's going to be a hard job at all for him. I think it's going to be hard in terms of who's getting the playing time, but that's that's a good type of hard for him Absolutely. to where you have all of these options. The, the, the finalized roster is going to be who he deems the best players available, with the exception of Jordan Walker, because I'm still skeptical on him making this team because of what you've got. But everybody on that roster, the difficult part is going to be, how are we going to get all these guys playing times? Which again, if I'm Ollie, I love that that's my my biggest problem.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's the bigger problem is how do you get, the, how do you keep these guys in the lineup, keep rotating and getting them good playing time so they stay, I don't know fresh is the right word, but stay like MLB ready, I think maybe is the word that you're looking for. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be quote unquote hard to finalize the roster because I think it's kind of easy where you look at, okay, Here's the 25 best players. Now we got to decide on the 26th man. And I think it's going to come down to, by the end of spring, you're going to have a really good idea of, okay, we know who our top 25 is, and there might be like three guys that are on the cusp for that final roster spot.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes or so, we're getting to bet it or forget it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have a scenario, we'll tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. But coming up next... Are you betting or forgetting that Jordan Walker is going to be on the opening day roster? It might have more to do with those around him than it does his performance. We'll tell you why next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing, fly, ball, wallop,
0: Jordan Walker, deep left center field. That ball is
4: gone.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. A good day on Sunday for Jordan Walker, but how much does that matter for him to be able to make the opening day roster? It should matter at least a little bit, Alex, but if you're doing a sliding scale of like which one matters more, Jordan Walker's performance or the performance of those around him, it sure sounds like it's the players around him that are going to have the bigger impact. John Mosalock was on MLB Network radio yesterday, and he was asked, hey, what are the odds that Jordan Walker is able to make your opening day roster? Here's what he had to say.
4: When you ask, are we open-minded for him to break with us? It really depends on what those other guys do. Um, you know, when you look at, at, at what Carlson is trying to accomplish, what we hope to get out of O'Neill, and what we think we have in Newt Bar, you know, I would say that's our outfield today, but, you know, five weeks away.
0: I think that what, I, I think the immediate reaction for a lot of our listeners is going to be, of course, yeah, they're playing the contracts. I actually think what they're doing makes a lot of sense, Alex, and it's the way that I would go about it as well. If I was in John Mosey shoes, I would want to find out first what my big league players are capable of. I would want to find out is Dylan Carlson actually going to be able to implement the changes that we thought he could from the offseason is Tyler O'Neill going to make good on all of the promise that we've seen from him in the past when he's been healthy is Lars are really the player that he was in the second half of last year? And if you get affirmative answers to all of those questions, well, that's your starting outfield. And then you just figure out your Jordan Walker question later on in the season. That's one of them good problems to have. He starts the year in AAA, is able to continue getting more experience playing in the outfield, and you hope that offensively he continues taking another step while seeing an uptick in the competition that he's going up against. Meanwhile, you're able to continue to get more answers and more information on the outfielders that you already have here in St. Louis. That's the way that I would approach it. So I do think he's right, and I believe that that's the way that they're approaching it, with finding out what you have first, and then if Walker hits his way onto the team and one of those guys performs poorly in spring training, that's Walker's way onto this team. How do you feel about Walker's chances and how they are impacted by the outfielders around him?
2: Same, and I said this yesterday with you guys. Jordan Walker probably should make this roster out of spring training if his bat plays and he he shows, shows everything. But I just look at this as John Moselak and Ali Marmol saying, before we put him in that spot, we got to not so much figure out what these guys are, because I don't think that matters when it comes to it. I think it's more of a let's slow play this so that, one, we can give these guys every opportunity possible to be a starting outfielder. Figure it out. Was it an injury for Dylan Carlson last year? Can O'Neill stay healthy? Is Lars Nupar the real deal? And when one of those three falter, when one slips up just a bit in the regular season, that's when Jordan Walker is recalled. And I'm sure that's going to be the conversations that Ali has with those players. Like, guys, this is your final opportunity here. Because and maybe not so much Lars bar, but for at least O'Neill and Carlson, this is your final shot. If you want to be a Cardinal full time this year, you got to take it and you got to run with it. Because Jordan Walker is waiting in the wings, and if he goes out there and has a superb sp- spring training, that's going to even put more pressure on those guys. I think there's, st- I think they're trying to figure out if these guys have what it takes to be everyday outfielders for the Cardinals.
3: Yeah, I, I think they're trying to figure those guys out and see if they can be those everyday outfielders that are starting for them. I, I think, too, is if all four perform well, I, I wonder if they would look at the DH spot, too. And it sounds like based on that comment from Mo, they won't. And when I say look at the DH spot, I don't mean start Walker's because if he's going to be on the team, he's going to be an everyday outfielder. But would you look at maybe if Yepes has struggles, you look to Nupar to be the everyday DH and you put Walker in the outfield or do Carlson do doing that? Gorman's on your bench then I would say but I, see, I think I Walker's got a higher that. upside I, I don't know if they would either but I think it's worth bringing into the conversation because I think you have to consider all options if Walker performs well because I don't want him to go down to the minor leagues and say well damn what am I supposed to do when I played that well I mean I, I basically him, want a job playing. I, I get it, but I think when you have a talent like that in Jordan Walker, the highly highest touted prospect since Oscar Tavares and Albert Pujols, you don't he, just send that guy down to the minor Walker, league, don't you? you kind of? Know, why not? Why, it, why can't you? Do I, that? I, you can, but I say, I say, if you got a kid playing that well at 20 years old, that's a stud but like it, Jordan Walker, spring training. You bring up, oh, yeah, here we go again, but, spring mean, training. Like, if, if is, but if it's
0: true. Like but if he's Jordan hitting Walker, major league pitching, I think simple. he's on the
3: team. If Jordan, He might not, though. He might not. And if, that's where I would disagree with the Cardinals situation. Because I could be. say the same argument of, it's spring training for Tyler O'Neill. It's spring training for it. Dylan Carlson. They've proven it. Yeah, I mean, they've you proven it. If, if have we have questions about him, then it hasn't been proven long enough.
0: Well, Jordan Walker has serious questions as well. There are questions as to if he's even going to be effective this year at the big league level.
2: And if you're Jordan Walker, it's not going to affect you mentally because you kind of knew coming into this that it was a long shot for you to make the squad because you're 20 years old and you haven't played a game at the AAA level. So you probably, and I know so many people on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. They've brought this up in the past, and I'm sure they're texting it in right now. Albert Pujols was that way, and he made the roster. Yeah, but Albert Pujols made the roster because of an injury that up in spring training correct yes they lost somebody and on top of that mark mcguire said this dude has to be on our roster if he hits and an injury pops up not even to an outfielder if an injury pops up to somebody uh, yeah a dh option then i could see him making it but if everybody's healthy and everybody performs to their level of expectations then that's where you look at jordan and you say you did everything right go keep doing it in memphis because i promise you you will be up here by may
0: yeah, I, I just think, I mean, Dylan Carlson, I, I think that sometimes we forget how highly touted he was as a prospect. If you look at the Major League Baseball rankings, he was basically the same spot as what we're talking about right now with Jordan Walker. If you look at what he did in Double A, again, I think it gets overlooked because it happened prior to the pandemic season. He was every bit as productive, if not more so, in Double A than Jordan Walker was last year. And so do I think that Dylan Carlson deserves a little bit of the benefit of the doubt coming off of an injury-plagued season? Absolutely. Yes, he deserves another opportunity to prove himself this year. Does Tyler O'Neill, who two years ago was an MVP candidate in the National League. Does he deserve a little bit of grace for one bad season? Yes, 100%. Does Lars Neupahr deserve a real opportunity this year to get extended playing time coming off of one of the best second halves of the seasons that we've seen for the Cardinals recently? Yeah, he does. And so, like, have these guys proven everything yet at the big league level? No, of course not. They're, they're not Nolan Arenado. They're not Paul Goldschmidt. They're not Wilson Contreras. But they've shown to be capable big league players. Jordan Walker's going to get there, man. He's going to get his opportunity. And if he performs admirably in spring training and doesn't make the roster, it's very simple for Ollie Marmol or John Moselock to go have the conversation with him and say, hey, listen, you did a good job. We You did everything that you could have to be able to make this roster. We're going to send you down to AAA. We want to keep getting you a little bit of season and get yourself more comfortable in the outfield." And we're going to see you at some point this season. Be ready. Keep yourself ready. Keep your head up. We'll see you at some point by the middle of the season. And I think that we will. I think there's no doubt about it. We will see Jordan Walker at some point this year. Just a matter of getting the right opportunity. So I think that it makes all the sense in the world to go down this path. I think they're going about it the exact right way. Keep that carrot there for Jordan Walker. And if everybody else, else performs below any reasonable expectation in spring training, sure there's an opening there for Jordan Walker. But reasonably, I I would be pretty surprised, honestly, at this point, if they don't open the season with the outfield that Mo mentioned there.
3: If Carlson struggles against right-handed pitching and it continues and he doesn't look like the everyday player, I I think then you have to have the conversation of Walker being on the team and and being the everyday outfielder. That's where I would come in on this is because I – I don't think he, his fate should be determined by the three guys ahead of him. I, I think if Walker performs well and outperforms one of them, and let's say you know all three are good, but Walker's better than one of them, I would put Walker on this team. I, I think he's the kind of player that we've talked about can be an NL rookie-type player of the year and make a difference for this team early on. I, I truly believe that, and that's why I say if if everybody plays well, but I can look at it and go, okay, Walker was slightly better than Dylan Carlson, I would turn the reins over to Jordan Walker, and I would say, okay, we're going to go with O'Neill in center. We're going to go with Newton, right? We're going to go Walker in left, and Carlson's our fourth outfielder, and we'll send Burleson down to AAA. Like, that's how I would approach this if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals. I,
0: and I just – I wouldn't. Like, I I I disagree with that because I think that what you're doing there is – based on a very limited sample size in spring training, when we know these guys are working on specific things and we don't entirely know what they're working on. There's been times in the past, I think it was uh, Dexter Fowler who said, Hey, I'm just trying to get to two strikes because I want to get my two strike approach down in spring training before we get to the regular season. Matt Carpenter would talk about that a lot, how he's, he's working on specific things at the plate while he's in spring training. And that's not gonna be great for his numbers, but it can help him once he gets to the regular season. I don't know what Dylan Carlson's working on right now. But if he struggles a little bit against right-handed pitching and limited opportunities this spring, I'm not going to say, hey, you're my fourth outfielder because of that. Two years ago, not even like the 2021 season. This was a 21-year or 22-year-old player who hit 260 at the big league level with a 340 on base percentage and hit 18 home runs with uh, 65 RBIs. I'm not giving up on that. After one bad year that was injury plagued, when he was still, even last year, which was absolutely a down season for him, still an exactly league average hitter. What I wouldn't
3: give up on it unless I think I have something better. But, and, and that's what I think you potentially have I want to give it time.
0: I want to give it time. He's I, got a runway here to be able to find
2: out. And that's what I feel like Ollie's doing to find out mentally how strong that individual is for Dylan Carlson. Of like, hey, you got some competition behind you. He's already doing it with Tyler O'Neill at center field, and now he's going to do it with Dylan uh, Jordan Walker. It's gonna, it's gonna be more testing the mental side of it. Like, hey, you know, you got this guy on your heels. How do you overcome yep. that? Rather than it's just, oh, you're not
0: performing. We're taking you out of the lineup. And the other thing here is like, if you bring Jordan Walker up, and I think this is what complicates the question a little bit. He is playing every, every day, single day he is an everyday player the moment that you bring him up to the big leagues that's so why it's you, the
2: injury front you
0: can't just bring him up and say okay we're going to start you in the outfield a couple of days a dh maybe a day and then you're going to be the fourth outfielder occasionally especially when we're going up against left-handed pitching like i i think that there is a real risk there of bringing him up too early i i would i would say barring something unforeseen I expect Jordan Walker to start the season in AAA, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's inherently a bad thing for the Cardinals. I think that, I think we're all rushing things a little bit with Jordan Walker because we want to see it so badly. And I get it, man. He is super exciting. Like I, all of the tools that you saw on Sunday, those are real, dude. They are very real. But let's let's allow this thing to play out. We've seen him play really one spring training game where he hit an 89 mile an hour fastball off of Johnny Cueto. We've heard in the past, we don't know what high velocity is going to look like against him. We do know that there is at least at times in, in his double a season last year, some struggles with a slider low and away as there are with almost every young player. And in the outfield, he's not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination Let's relax. So I'll take a deep breath. I think that Jordan Walker is going to be a really good player. That doesn't necessarily mean he has to be starting for you on opening day. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what does and bring to the Blues this year? And can he be a legit middle six forward for them for years to come? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Better to forget it is coming up next.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN.
4: Alongside
0: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. Let's start with this from the 618. Guys, better to forget it. Gulf Shores is what happens if Branson and Florida had a baby. Basically, yeah.
2: Never been to Gulf Shores. Really?
0: Yeah. I think you'd like Gulf Shores. I've never been to Gulf stores either. Really? Well,
2: if it's Branson, if it's Branson in Florida, I probably wouldn't like it very
0: much. Oh, it's got like a water park. There's a big not they, a big water got got a, park guy. They, they've got an annual music festival on the beach, which I think is like the perfect Alex Ferrario hangout spot.
2: Depends on the music, I guess. They got but a little, little bit of yeah, I, so I, I would that's... imagine country
0: music, right? No,
2: oh, well, I'm I out, it's I'm a little I'm bit of everything.
3: See, I I can't picture Ferrario out of music. No, class. me either. You know how many people there are <laughs> I know. there? I was
0: kidding. I don't know if i've ever been to a music festival i think you would hate it i, think I can't legitimate. imagine anything seems like that you would hate more it's like where college kids go a lot yeah like, like for spring break okay i'm out on that yeah so i'm gonna forget that
3: i'm 100 it, it can in.
0: become the it, like destin is the nice expensive version of gold shores yeah no, basically
2: no give me uh give me a spot where a ton of like 65 year old retired destin couples go jupiter
0: oh yeah, Destin yeah. and Jupiter.
2: Savannah, Georgia, that's my spot. Yeah, I know it is, buddy. Yeah, that's my spot.
0: Uh, but yeah, Do not a lot of question? partiers down there, you know? <laughs> I'm betting it for sure. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service. line for better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Colton Pareko is traded at the deadline.
2: I'm going to forget this one just because of kind of how it's, people have swayed me in this direction, which I guess I fall for peer pressure pretty easily. But I told you guys in the break, keep an eye on Edmonton. Uh, if Edmonton can't get Chikrin, if they don't get Gavrikov, they obviously are looking pretty heavily for a defenseman. Now that they moved on from Poyarvi, they've got seven million dollars in cap space. keep an eye on Edmonton because maybe Edmonton gives St. Louis a call if they can't get either of those top defensemen.
3: I'm forgetting it just because I think it's gonna be too tough to move that term at the deadline and is AAVs it's not extremely high, but it's six and a half so, I, I think all these conversations that we're hearing in the rumor block with uh, Colton Braco, I think they're all kind of pushing towards the off season. in terms of once you get to uh, draft day, that's when I think you could see one of these moves occur.
0: Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I'm forgetting that. I do not believe that Colton Pareco will be moved before the trade deadline. Uh, somebody says there's more college kids in Destin than there are in Gulf Shores. I right? That has not been my experience. Um, haven't well, been either. So Gulf Shores, if you're staying at like one of the, I guess it depends when you're going. Gulf Shores around spring break time is very much exclusively college kids. I guess other times of the year. I that don't I've think been
2: the individual that put that strange. scenario out there has ever been to Branson, <laughs> because no,
0: nothing about Gulf Shores sounds like it's Branson. I mean, it, it's like any town, right? Like if you go to. I don't know, Miami. You can make it into a number of different types of vacations. Yeah,
2: but I don't know if Branson's ever been anywhere close to Gulf Shores. What do you mean? Like, Branson's Branson's the spot where my mom goes. It's
0: not the spot where uh, people would go to enjoy themselves. But you, like, the college kids would go to Table Rock Lake, which is that's, right next to Branson.
2: Yeah, but not Branson. Okay, that's fair. Like, not, like, because when I hear Branson... <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, Highway 76 Strip, where you got the uh, the The Wax Museum, the 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 Mini Golf, you got a
0: mini golf spot every corner. You know what is similar in some way? Every restaurant looks like it has roaches. San Antonio is Branson with a river Walk.
2: That, that's I've never been San to Antonio. San Antonio either, but that sounds probably a lot more like it than Gulf Shores.
0: Uh, all right, three one four three 314-399-9646 <laughs> is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it," guys. better it or forget it." Goldie will bat leadoff for the Cardinals at some point this season. Eh.
3: Sadly, forget it. Ollie's been uh, crushing dreams and uh, not going to hit him at leadoff.
0: Your CB Buckner and
2: Ollie's himself. He just basically said, "I'll shake your hand," but. Uh,
3: it's disappointing. No I, I agree that we're not going to see Goldie hit leadoff. But uh, unlike, when was it, last year or two years ago that I brought up that scenario? No, it was
2: last year where you said you'd eat your own underwear. if Yeah, the, but I
3: think it was the prior season. I had mentioned it in season. Uh, the Cardinals now have a legitimate leadoff hitter and aren't stuck. And this is no shot against Edmund. But they're not stuck with putting Edmund at the top of the order, who is a good kind of, hey, I can hit leadoff for two weeks, but don't ask me to do it for a full 162 games. They now have someone like Donovan, potentially new bar that can hit up there to where we don't have to put Goldie there.
2: Someone said Branson's got something for everyone, just like Gulf Shores. (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) You've (laughs) never (laughs) been to Branson. It doesn't have something for everyone. Alex hates nothing. Alex is just hard
0: to please. Nothing more than Branson. And I'm going in May. Are you going again?
2: We're going with my family. I'm going for golf more than anything. Great golf spot. Maybe Gulf Shores has that. Maybe that's what they Where have is in Where's the Tiger Golf Course? course. It's, uh, it's, is that the Ozarks or well, is that... It's, no, it's on uh, top of the rock, so it's Branson, but it's like... Are you going? Well, I'm hoping we can get on. It's like impossible to get on there. Yeah, I'm sure one of
0: our listeners... Hey, listeners, Uh,
2: yeah, if shoot you got a hookup for Payne's Valley in uh, May, late
0: May, let me know. Shoot Alex a DM on Twitter. He's at ferrario101esbm. Yeah, shoot him into DM. my DMs for that. He'd be happy to... Hopefully get your help uh, from the three, one, four guys, have my headphones on. Though. Better to forget it. A Cardinals starting pitcher will throw a no hitter this season.
2: Forget it. We got as close to it as possible and we missed out. It's not going to happen. It happened while I was on vacation. I, I will never forget that. I was watching it. Harrison Bader, man. I was watching it with my wife and I said, oh my God, they're going to do this. And as soon as, uh, as soon as that ball was hit over Harrison Bader's head, I'm like, you gotta be bleeping kidding me.
3: I'm going to forget it because I don't think the Cardinals have the swing and miss to get it done. And now they're a pitch to contact team. Without the shift, I think that could potentially hurt you. So I'm going to say forget I, it. And it's just so hard to do. And I don't know if you have the defense in the outfield to do it.
2: Like if you were ever going to do it, it was with O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson. I don't know. I think their defense in the outfield could be pretty good this year. I'm um, skeptical in center field. Man, everybody hates Tyler O'Neill. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm like the biggest fan of that. I'm By still a little skeptical. What it different. To one person. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say,
3: somebody hates Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, he looked at me. Just, uh, just so the audience knows. Do you know, like anybody no in the there. outfield not named Jordan Walker? i actually like o'neal i i think o'neal's got yeah, all of the just five started tools the center field
0: position,
2: i just i just
3: i, I hate when we always revert back to him. oh he was an mvp candidate yeah one out of his five years here with the cardinals and it's the only year he's been healthy yeah and, and even before that he, he's just so streaky i think he just got hot at the right time and propelled himself into that conversation i don't think he'll ever do that again but that does mean he's not going to be a good baseball player uh I think O'Neill is probably the one on the highest on in the outfield behind Jordan Walker or outside of Jordan Walker, Newbar, He's a fourth outfielder. Carlson can't hit right-handed pitching. What what is to love about that outfield?
0: Three one four 399 six four six. Carlson's is the nice year. hair. Comfort service sex line for better or forget it. Tanner's just being a crab ass today. Speaking of uh, that, Alex, when was the moment when you realized that you were just always going to hate everything in life?
4: <laughs>
0: that
3: comes from the three one four. Had to develop at a young age. No, I was I was a
2: lover of life for a really long time. Probably college. College probably hit that point for you. The moment when you knew it's probably the point where I became a crab ass. Because you went to Lindenwood. Uh huh. Not so. saying well, Lindenwood didn't cause it. No, I just no. think the responsibilities of being an adult caused
0: that. I was just saying because I'm assuming you spent a decent amount of time down at Main Street, St. Charles, and is that when you notice like, oh, I just don't really enjoy being around other it's humans. A really
2: it's a really good point. That's a really good point. My buddies and I would go down there and just like sit and eat pizza and drink beers like on the weekends and you'd see everybody there for the parties and the loud music and I'm like man this just
0: isn't for me.
3: See that sounds like a great time. No. Alex it's
0: called the cops on the on the restaurant next door
2: Look, for I called a noise the cops complaint once because there were illegal <laughs> happenings taking place across the street. By illegal happenings of course he means drugs and alcohol (laughs) underage drugs and alcohol i'm trying to do a service i'm like batman i'm the dark knight of the city of arnold you're welcome (laughs) i saved those children i feel
3: like you're more of an anti-hero i saved those children
2: from a unlikely future you're welcome i do the same for you because i care about humanity
0: Hold on, you'd do the same for Tanner if
2: no, he got no. drugs and alcohol around no, him. No, no, I'd let Tanner <laughs> run with it.
0: <laughs> I would be just eating popcorn, watching what the show is about. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> where this is going <laughs> to head.
2: Let's find out together.
3: Hey, we should go to.
2: Uh, we should go to Branson again.
3: <laughs> I've never been, so I'm in. We should go to Alton, Oh my Illinois. God, Maybe God, like first week in a March Brancet, Madness.
2: Branson, I'm in. You, we're going to get to that in a second. You and and uh, the 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 Hendrickson clan would be a fun like. Video story in Branson because you you no, didn't like no, Texas I'm, with them. No, now, it really, wouldn't to, be you can't to can't say that on the radio. To man. talk about Alton, uh, can't go there with you because you're trying to get Tanner and I killed.
0: No, that's not true. Uh, also, if you know anybody that has a rental property and all, he sent <laughs> and us a shack moment.
2: on the side of the road and said, "Let's stay here," Having like a no. tough time finding one currently for us. He sent us a shack on the side of the road and said, "This looks like a good spot." <laughs> It basically, had a sign painted in blood in the front of it. Said, "Don't come here." Tanner, BK is like, "Let's go."
3: Okay, this is just Alex hating life. It was Correct. nothing close. Now, it, did it look like someone shed in their backyard? Yes, yes. No, for did sure. Did it look like a place <laughs> where someone was going to be looked, murdered? It,
0: no. It looked like a murder shack. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. I've been looking for the last month for a, a rental property in and Alton, and man, are they difficult to find. Did not realize it was going to be as tough as it has been. We had no issues with this last year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I wonder if it has something to do with it being St. Patrick's Day weekend. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, The junk drawer is coming up in about 15 minutes or so, but hey, Alex, what does Cappy bring to the Blues? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back
1: to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN
2: When people talk about me I think speed is probably the first thing that comes to mind um, whether that's with the puck and bringing it in the zone or um, you know, just on the forecheck I think this team is a heavy forecheck team um, I think I can really add on to that and just be physical and, and uh, try to shoot the puck more I don't think I've been doing that enough this year especially in Pittsburgh so I think i have try to do that and uh, playing
0: with uh, Bush and, uh, and uh, Robbie there today yeah, felt good so uh, we'll see how it goes that was Casper Kappen in yesterday at Blues Skate talking about what he's going to be able to bring to the St. Louis Blues in 2023. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, we'll see Cappy for the first time tonight in a Blues uniform. Blues versus Kraken pregame with Alex and Joe starting at six. Puck drop for that one at seven o'clock right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. That's what he believes he can bring to this team. What are you expecting? out of Cappy in his first action.
2: So the first thing I'm expecting is speed. Because that was his—that was the name of his game in Pittsburgh when he was successful, but more so when he was in Toronto. For a bit there, he was playing with Mitch Marner on a line, which I, I think that was that 2018-19 season that he had 44 points and 20 goals. So speed is going to be very noticeable for him. Um, he is a guy who shoots the puck a lot. It would not surprise me if this is a guy who has three or more shots on goal a majority of his games. Uh, if you look at that successful season, 174 shots on goal in 78 games played so a a really good outing for him there he's not going to be a defensive minded player but he's going to be physical on the forecheck which honestly I think is something that Craig Berube is desperate for right now with his team somebody who will go after a loose puck and win those board battles that's where he's coming from so I'm he seems a lot like Ivan Barbashev in the circumstance, just a younger Barbie. Now, Barbie was a lot more of a physical presence. Maybe he will be now that you know he's he was placed on waivers and claimed by a team because that's kind of a come-to-Jesus moment for a lot of individuals. Um, but he just seems a lot like Barbie in the sense of you look at it and you say, you know what, maybe overqualified for a top six, but underqualified for a third-line role. So he's kind of that that tweener. I like the idea of him playing with Buchnevich, who's a playmaker, and Thomas, who's a playmaker.
0: This is a guy who shoots first and asks questions later. So I I guess one of the things that I would be curious about is he he mentioned how speed is the main thing that he brings to the table. He also talked about the forecheck there, but I know there were times when he was in Pittsburgh talking to a a couple of people that, that live up there that follow the team more closely than certainly we do where they were a little underwhelmed by how he kind of floated in and out of games. It's not the same player, but think like Vladimir Tarasenko where he, he's got that physical element to his game when he wants to, but a lot of the times it felt like he would just drift. He would drift away from the, from the play. I, I guess my, my question to you, Alex would be this. Is he going to be a player that brings primarily speed or is he more of that physical player that, We want the Blues to have more of.
2: See, that's what I I don't know yet because he he wasn't able to play that role in Pittsburgh. I believe Pittsburgh wanted something from him that he wasn't. Pittsburgh wanted that physical presence, that forechecking, because they play that style. They don't play the run-and-gun style like the Toronto Maple Leafs do, where it's speed, it's puck possession, and it's shots on goal. Pittsburgh's more of a... Style that is, you know, go in, win the board battles, and go... Previously. Previously, go to the front of the net. Like, that's what they wanted out of Kapanen. If you remember when he scored the hat trick against the Blues earlier this season, two of his three goals were parked in front of the net. I don't believe that is who Kapanen is. Kapanen is more of a off-the-rush, shooting the puck a lot, and trying to create secondary scoring opportunities. Kapanen might work well for guys that, like, I'm curious to see how he plays with Thomas and Buchnevich because neither of those guys really go to the front of the net. I I would wonder in-game if he gets shifted to a line playing with Braden Shen, because that seems more likely of Kapanen's the shoot, and then Shen's the guy that goes and cleans it up and gets the rebound. That's what I feel like Kapanen is. They're going to use him on the second power play unit tonight, which, uh, call it a power play unit if you'd like, but... He's going to be a guy when the puck's on a stick, he's not going to look to pass. He's going to look to shoot. And I think you need more of those guys on this team right
0: now. Yeah, I hope he becomes that because, I mean, you look at the line that he's on right now. It's Buchnevich and Robert Thomas, both of whom have been at times criticized for their lack of shooting, like where they're trying to create for others. There's going to be opportunities. There's no doubt about it for and on this Blues team. Alex, let's kind of turn our attention to it for a second we just had a segment, Better to Forget It, where I asked the question, Better to Forget It, Colton Pareco is traded at the deadline. Darren Drager just tweeted this out, and I find it to be interesting, a little surprising, honestly. He says, action is starting to pick up around Blues defenseman Colton Pareco. He said he's he's an Alberta boy with ton of term remaining, $6.5 million cap hit through 2930. Stay tuned. This could be nothing. It absolutely could be. Drager doesn't put that out if it's nothing. Typically, no. I got to be honest, man, I I mentioned in the last segment, I didn't think that anything was going to come of this, and I still don't know that it is. Edmonton just cleared a lot of salary from their books. I don't know if that's the spot where he ends up going. Maybe it's somebody else are you surprised to hear that this is actually a very real possibility of the Blues trading Colton Pareco prior to the deadline if this I, if you believe this to be true
2: I, I mean I'm surprised that it's gotten to this point with him but jr is correct if Tory Krug wasn't injured maybe there's more interest in Tory Krug than Colton Pareco the, the, it doesn't surprise me that teams are
0: calling because you think, by the way'm sorry to um cut you off here. Do you think it's relevant that he said Alberta boy? Yeah, because he's going to go to one of the Cal- the uh, Canada teams. Well, specifically Edmonton or Calgary.
2: Yeah, and I, I still think Ottawa's in this as well because Ottawa needs a defenseman and they want one on the right side. Um, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Now, this is why I'm still uncertain if it gets done because there there's a there's a there's there's kind of a tiers of defensemen right now. It's going to start at Jacob Chikrin. Edmonton has been reportedly in on Jacob Chikrin. Now they have the cap space to make it work and not have Arizona eat cap space. Then it's Vladislav Gavrikov from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Then it gets to Colton Pareko. But as I told you guys yesterday, somebody tweeted out a, a, a gif of the East versus the West in the NHL. And the East was rocky in his workouts. And the West was, like I don't know, some scrawny dude
4: that's what this is
2: right Jake now Paul, or pretty whatever, yeah Bogan probably Ball, whatever it is yeah that's what this is right now so if it is the alberta boy that's two teams in the west and that's two teams at the west that are saying if we get past the western conference we need to have a little size with our team so yeah edmonton and calgary make a hell of a lot of sense for a trade if this this comes out but i think this is going to be more of a draft trade than it is deadline so trade.
0: if this ends up getting done at the trade deadline if, if this happens at some point within the next what four days i guess now i think that happens for a reason i, I don't think army's just out here like hey i'm getting rid of colton Pareko. If this happens jacob chikrin is a lot more realistic it feels like that right mm-hmm. i mean if you're if you're going to move six and a half million dollars off of the books it's because you have a plan on what you're doing with that money. Now, maybe his plan is as simple as we need to get rid of this term and this offseason. It's going to open up anything that we want to do for us. It opens up the flexibility that is necessary. Or maybe it's as simple as, hey, if we open this up now, we can go get Jacob Chikrin and nobody's going to be able to hold us over a barrel over the summer because they know we've got to shed salary from our books. That's totally possible. I don't know, man. It it does feel to me like if this happens, it's happening for a reason. And I think the Jacob Chickering thing feels very real.
2: Somebody is going to be desperate to get a defenseman, and they're going to be willing to eat salary and take on a long contract because they view this individual as an asset to their team. And I I know I'm the the Pareko defender on this this show and this station, but...
0: (laughs) If you have a legitimate number 1 defenseman, I think Colton Pareco is a That's good player. That's what I'm saying. Player. He
2: goes to Edmonton, he's in a he's in a really good spot where I think people are going to look at it and say, "Did we really give that up?" But it depends on what the return is. I I don't know what you're
0: getting in return for Colton Pareko. I would also add this. If he ends up going somewhere else where they do have a legitimate number 1 defenseman. I don't know if Edmonton's that team, but if he goes somewhere else where they have a legit number 1 defenseman and succeeds, I think in the back of your mind, you also need to remember that wasn't going to happen here. He wasn't going to be able to be that same player because of the lack of flexibility that the Blues have to get a number one defenseman unless they move him. It would have been really difficult to be able to just get that version of Pareko here.
2: This is also happening because the Blues are looking at this and seeing Justin Falk as the superior defenseman. And I think Uh, they're uh, right. The ice time has shown it in the last 10-15 games, he's the one that ends pretty much every game with 26-27 minutes of ice time what used to be Colton Pareko's role is now Justin Falk's role, so if this is the case, here's the other problem with that, you're very short on the right side when it comes to defense because now your second most tenured experienced right handed defenseman is a Robert Portuso. And of course, guys can play on the right side that are lefties. That doesn't
0: really matter. But yeah, you got Scandella. He's done it. Before.
2: Scandella, Tucker's been doing it. Callie Rosen can do it. You're going to use that there, but it all comes down to what you're getting in return. And uh, if Edmonton's giving that going after Pareco, they are going to have to give up something of what cap.
0: What do you think it would take? Well, the, I'm talking like pick wise. Like we- from a team. Yeah, like, if, if you're Doug Armstrong and you're trading Colton Pareko, because, like, it's probably going to be another first-round pick. You
2: think? Yeah, I mean, Edmonton's can't get it done for multiple first-round picks for a Jacob Chikrin. You, you can get a Colton Pareco who's just a first-round pick, but they're also going to have to give up a roster player, so maybe there's a ro- That's why the Puli yarvey thing made so much sense to me, because they have to shed salary on top of bringing in a defenseman. But they also wouldn't have gotten it done just with Pulujarvi that's why they had to ship that out so it's just it's weird that the Pulujarvi thing happened right now and now the Colton Pareco conversations are brought up maybe the blues didn't want pulujarvi maybe you know terrible idea <laughs> Valerita Chushkin in the waiting but um it, it's just it's a weird chain of events to them shed 3 million dollars in cap space and then now the rumor starts up of alberta teams
0: are calling about colton yeah. pareco if you if you're trying to connect the dots it's not really like a plus b plus c plus d plus e plus f equals g now it's a plus b equals c well,
2: and, and we're also talking a lot about edmonton Cal, i mean calgary was the one that david Panyota reported on and if you look at calgary's spot calgary's on the outside looking in in the playoffs they realize that the playoffs aren't working and they're probably going to look at what they have on their defense and say we need to ship somebody out to make our defense better whether that's uh, I, i'm not really sure maybe it is a, a Mackenzie weger pops up once again but they're, they're the other teams since it's the Alberta teams. They're on the outside looking into the playoffs that need to load up. If Edmonton's calling about Chikrin and Gavrikov, they're saying we need to go get somebody
0: on the defensive side too. So if you missed uh, the, the news... If you want to call it that, it's, I guess, kind of speculation, but it is from a a news reporter and Darren Draker who does excellent work with TSN. He's very tied in. We'll try to reach out to him, see if we can get him on the show at some point in the next couple of days. He says he's hearing the action is starting to pick up on Blues defenseman Colton Pareko. He's an Alberta boy with a ton of term remaining. Six and a half million dollar cap hit through 2030. Stay tuned. That is the latest If we hear anything more, we will certainly pass that along to you here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Nolan Arenado was asked yesterday about what his reaction was as somebody this offseason who opted into his deal when he saw what Manny Machado got after he threatened to opt out of his. We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes. The Junk Jore is coming up next. (laughs)
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
3: brought to you by fenton bar and grill best
2: trashed wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
0: To the junk drawer, Alex ferrario What do you have for us today? So,
2: guys, I want you to imagine the worst thing that could happen to you, minus death. Let me rephrase oh, this. Oh, wait, then the I gotta go. The most embarrassing thing that could happen to you. I want you to picture it. Probably wearing a snowman outfit and singing in Main Street. That's just typical yeah, weekend. That, that's
0: truly. <laughs> really, I had zero shame in that. And there's nobody around. Are you guys picturing it?
2: Yeah. Okay. Does it involve getting your picture taken? No. No. Okay. Well, uh, it does for uh Giants pitcher pitcher Ross Stripling. Stripling. Okay. Stripling. Uh they did their their player pictures, you know, at the start of training camp, spring training and Oh no, did he sneeze and they said next person? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, worse than that. They took a picture of him and uh he had food in his teeth.
3: Oh and no. And that's gonna
2: stay there. Oh. they took the picture, they printed the picture, it's up. It's out, and now he's got food in his teeth. You oh. got to
3: retire. Yeah, I can't imagine being a
0: pro athlete, because here's the oh, thing. Oh, this isn't even that bad. I think you're making a mountain out of a molehill here. He's, he's got, got like food in his teeth. It's like a little thing of pepper. Barely even noticeable here, unless okay. you had told me that prior.
2: Here's let me, the thing. Let me
3: see this photo. Here's
0: the thing.
2: This is not just like a picture that's, oh, it's cute. Your mom's going to hang out. Yeah, this I, is a
0: picture that's going to be put up on the big board in every ballpark. If he had like a piece of spinach that encompassed his Look entire team. it's huge. It's it's a small little speck. This of- is going to
2: be on MLB the show. This is going to fu- it's going to be on his baseball
0: card. Of course, that's what's per- what comes up. This here, is Ryan. everywhere, man. This
2: is everywhere Gotta be careful with baseball cards nowadays. What does that mean? Yeah. Cryptocurrency, I get basically. it. Basically, uh, like if you're the photographer, you should be fired.
3: You can't really see unless you zoom in. Don't care. Food and teeth. No, I, if you're I a don't.
2: photographer, you should check before you take I, a picture of somebody. I would bet you Good. money the photographer Good. didn't know You Got notice. a little bat in the cave hanging out there. Got a little food in the teeth. Do this for me, uh, Alex would be okay. a miserable. Get your Adam's apple right. You don't have to say that to most people. What what do you want to make sure It's very
0: th- rare that you would have to say that that to a person. You
2: want to make sure that their pictures are as good as they
0: can be
3: yeah just make sure that they're I, not
0: in the middle
2: of if gulping there,
3: if there wasn't this red arrow pointing to what the issue is i'd have no idea and i think no. that's what happened to the photographer no i i it's thought you were gonna trash. say it was like clear like trash. spinach was in there's, the teeth there's food in his tell.
2: teeth and nobody told him so about it and that's thing. just
0: ridiculous you could do you have experience with this
2: i no. guess this is my i have some <laughs> follow-up <laughs> I, I have some bad school pictures that have been taken really yeah there was this there's this like ugly stage everybody goes through you know it's the ugly duckling and then you blossom into a beautiful swan i was always
3: a beautiful swan yeah
2: i was always an ugly duckling and there's like pictures of me like posing with a a boom box and things like that so they live with you but not like you're a professional
0: athlete so my nephew cutest little kid in the world he does this thing where if you say smile he'll smile normally if you say smile big Alex he does this and I know this is a, not a visual oh, medium poor so kid poor, <laughs> poor kid he bug, he <laughs> goes bug-eyed when <laughs> he, he goes, says smile
2: big yeah poor kid like
0: the, the pulling your full face back it's it is the absolute best so his no pictures- I said smile
2: big I said don't look like you're scared <laughs>
0: he, he looks like he has just seen a ghost with a massive smile on his face <laughs> so I was wondering if maybe you had uh had an experience like that no. in your history with no. You know, some through know, in your teeth. I don't do a whole lot reactions. of
2: smiling these days because I got like a dead lip on one side of my face, and people wonder if something happened. So I just don't smile anymore. I go
0: like old school pictures where you just straight face. Do you have all of your pictures from grade school yeah. somewhere?
2: Well, I mean, I don't, but my mom does. Yeah, it's in photo albums.
0: Did you? Did, do you look back? Like, what is the oh, thing God, that yeah. you regret most about those oh, pictures? Because, the glasses that I picked. Oh, you had glasses. Oh yeah, up. I looked like Harry Potter.
2: Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, the glasses and then the hairstyle, because I did this stage. You remember the stage? T-Bone's probably too young for this, where all you did was you flipped the front of your hair. Oh, it's like spikes. So, like,
0: everything else is
2: flat, but I just, you and use it, a comb and you swoop the front. Out. It's not even a swoop. It's a phew. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot of those pictures. And then the Harry Potter glasses. And then I went through this weird sweater stage where I used a lot of, like, zip-up sweaters that you'd buy at, like, J C JCPenney's. I was a weird kid back then, man. Back then, huh? Look at me now, man. I'm in a suit, looking good.
0: Um, I I'm gonna find these pictures. I'm gonna take gonna pictures and tweet all them out. all of you. When I was younger, uh, I think I was like a sixth grade or so. This is like the boy, boy band phase, right? Oh, yeah. Do you uh, have the seashell sea necklace? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Hollister For shirt. Oh, I wore that all, all the jeans, time. seashell, the puka shell, the uh, tight white. shirts that you oh, wore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, God, I <laughs> <that> was bad. <laughs> On top of all of that, so you've got the full get up. Mm-hmm. I also had my mom do the highlighted tops Dude, of the hair. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> the frosted tips. Unfortunately, she, of course, is not a hairdresser and didn't know what she was doing. Oh, she did it? Yeah. Oh, man. So instead of me having the frosted tips i looked like a leopard and i just had spots <laughs> Dude, okay we need to head. find
2: these pictures in both of us tweeted out because i did the same thing so i went to great clips because i went to stage where i thought blonde guys got like girls liked them more because their hair was cooler than that yeah, was the hair not yeah, the, uh, not the, not not the personality else. or the glasses or the weird hair swoop i did so i went to great clips too and i wanted to like i wanted the tips i wanted the highlights oh no it's just a flat top of blonde hair but oh, it's gosh. like spots we got to find these pictures and tweet them out for both of us. If, I'll see
0: if my mom's got one somewhere. Yeah.
2: It was God, a good look. Picture day was the worst. And then in high school, I just stopped taking pictures. I'm like, now I'm good. Put a question mark in the yearbook. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't take I pictures did, in I, high school. I, I didn't tot- do high school I pictures. I totally did see you like, skipping high do, school picture uh, day. Did you play
0: hooky that day? Like, what'd you do?
2: No, I just didn't go take a picture. Like, I didn't they, know that was an option. Well, yeah. They bring everybody into the gymnasium and then like you sit down and take a picture. I just didn't take a picture. Really? Yeah. I don't want
0: did to, you go to the bathroom? Did you
2: say, no, hey, I, got I just IBS. sat in the gym and I'm like, I
0: don't want a picture.
2: Yeah, like,
3: I didn't okay. think that was an option. Because like I mean, we did the same thing in high school. Except for senior year. Senior year, everybody senior did year, like, a I specific did, one. I did but... senior
2: pictures, but I was kind of into my my beautiful swan years then. Yeah, yeah. You Freshman, were. sophomore year was just that ugly duckling still, man. Hey, man, we all had that. Yeah, yeah. Tanner that. over here acting like he's always been good looking. Let me know when you get there, bud. I,
0: hey, that hey was I'm aging like a fine wine, yeah, my friend. Yeah, I didn't appreciate that at all. Did I make fun of you? No, but that's our guy, yeah. and I think that you owe him an apology for the way that no, you just
2: talked to no. him. he's treating me poorly by telling me that I was always an ugly duckling. I no, didn't say
0: that. You, I just can. No, I No. You said I it. feel personally attacked. I kind of confirmed it. We're falling apart at the seams on this show. What else is <laughs> Coming new? up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including a new rule that has been proposed in the NFL that Tanner hates and I love. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes, but next... You just can't overstate what Nolan Arenado did for the Cardinals, both for the now and the future. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: I love being here. I was, I came here. I got traded here. I wanted to stay here. I know the whole situation kind of makes me look kind of bad, but you know, at the end of the day, Manny deserves it. He's a great player, and he deserves to get paid a lot of money. I love being here, and I make more than enough money, more than I deserve, so I'll be all right. <laughs> that was Nolan Arenado on MLB Network Radio yesterday, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, the big news over the weekend. Was Manny Machado signing an 11-year contract worth 350 million dollars? That is an average of 32 million dollars per year. That deal starts next season in his age 31 season. For Nolan Arenado, the reason I wanted to bring this up in comparison to what Machado just signed, he opted in last year, as we talked about a lot. He opted into a five-year deal worth $144 million. So the AAV, not all that dissimilar from what Machado signed $29 million per year compared to Machado's $32 million per year. Arenado's deal starts in his age 32 season. Machado starts in his age 31 season. The difference of course is the remaining six years and $206 million (laughs) on the contract that Arenado is currently leaving on the table. Now, if Nolan continues to age gracefully, he very well could end up making up at least a decent portion of that money on the back end of this deal. But the overwhelming likelihood is he will not make up all of it. Could have gotten a very similar contract had he decided to opt out and either come back here to St. Louis on a reworked deal or go elsewhere on a new contract contract. When you see stuff like this, you hear the comments that he just made there, and we know what it meant to John Moselock in the offseason when he found out that Nolan Arenado was going to stick put here in St. Louis on that contract. What do you think it says to St. Louis about the Cardinals' organization and about Nolan Arenado?
2: I would have stopped Nolan Arenado when he said the statement of, I know it makes me look bad, and said, No, it actually makes you look great because you agreed to to return on the money that you were making where you could have gotten more money, whether it's from the Cardinals or somebody else. And I don't know if he gets to Manny Machado numbers, but hell last couple of seasons, he's put up very similar numbers to Manny Machado. I think he could have gotten similar. And he's got all the gold gloves. I would say you look better because of the decision you made One, because you're not out there just for the money. You're out there for the championships. You're out there for the competition. And two, you put yourself in, you're put your team in a better position because of the decision you made. We weren't there when John Moseleca like and Nolan Arenado had the conversation, but I would imagine the conversation on Nolan's side was, I don't need more money. I want this team to be competitive because I want more rings. I want a ring. And that's where Nolan Arenado came from. So if not for him, this team probably looks a lot more different going into spring training this year. And I don't know if we'd be as optimistic about them if if he doesn't return in the conditions that he's at right now rather than take the Manny Machado route.
3: BK, you mentioned this in the office to us, and Alex, you kind of brought it up there too, where you said, you know... We always thought, I remember when we had the conversations of, oh, is he going to opt in? Is he going to opt out? Oh, Mo's going to meet with him. We always assumed, oh, well, that was a conversation of what's he going to do for the team this year. And it's not so much this year because he's making $35 million this year, it's probably next year. And if Arnato decides to take on a new contract and opt out and sign for, say, $35 million a year, you're potentially talking about the Cardinals being out on that starting pitching market in the offseason. So I think the conversation that Arnato and Mo had wasn't so much about, OK, what are we going to be doing this year? There was some of that. There was some in that conversation. I think it was more of, OK, what's the three to five year plan look like? And, and Mo could have sat there and said, OK, well, we look at our starting pitching in, in next season. We know we've got four open spots. We plan to be spending big on it. Now, we'll see if that actually happens, but that may have been what the selling point was. And I think you're right, Alex, spot on. I I don't think it makes him look bad at all. I think it makes him look great. I I think it shows that he's willing to take a kind of what we talk about with NHL players a lot of, are you willing to take that hometown discount to help your team out? And Nolan Arenado said, yes, I'm fully invested. I love it here. And I'm willing to take less so we can build a better championship team and core here in St. Louis. I think that when he says it makes him look bad,
0: it's because to fellow players, he probably looks bad for not getting the most amount possible.
4: I think maybe like what he's the, the players about. association
0: to the, yeah, to the to the union, to other guys that play his same position, because like Machado just reset the market, essentially, for guys at his age that are trying to get a long term deal. If this was a free agent contract, as opposed to him signing it right before spring training, there would have been a ton of attention paid to the fact that, holy bleep, Manny Machado just got three hundred and fifty million dollars. That is a massive whopping contract for a guy that is 30 years old right now. These are the contracts that Major League Baseball for almost a decade basically said, we're not doing those anymore. In this offseason, it was the return of the mega deal. Where these superstar free agents, even as they pass that age 30 threshold, are getting the long-term contracts again that are fully guaranteed, no trade clauses, there's not an opt-out at them, it's just a classic, you're going to be here for the next 10 plus years and we're going to pay you all of this money. Nolan Arnato could have got that. He could have got something approaching that at least, because my guess is a team would have done, kind of similar to what the Padres did with Manny Machado, we're going to try to give you a bunch of money, but instead of giving it to you, probably the same overall dollar figure, instead of giving it to you over eight years, we're going to give it to you over 10 just to be able to spread out the AAV over that the life of that contract. Like Manny Machado, there's some contract details that came out today. He got a significant signing bonus that's going to be paid out like yearly over the life of the contract. And then for the first like three years, I think it is, it's like a $15 million cash payment that is actually being given to Manny Machado. So the money going out to him is not all that significant early on. So it's easier for the Padres to be able to maneuver. Something could have happened like that with Nolan Arenado. He probably did leave 50, 100, maybe more million dollars on the table by sticking with St. Louis. So to get back to the original point of like, what does it say about him? What does it say about the Cardinals? I think it just shows you how much he wants to be here, dude. And to your point of him, like looking better because of this. If I'm a Cardinals fan, like we talk so much and I think for fair reasons about how it's really not about anymore sticking with one team for the life of your deal or just being happy, you know, winning, going to the place where you're going to win. It's about the money now. Nolan Arnato showed you it is about the winning. It is about him trying to get a World Series in a place that he has wanted to be in for a long time. This stuff matters to him. And so if you're just trying to endear yourself to one specific fan base, dude, I don't know how you could do it any more than what Nolan Arenado did in this offseason. He showed you with his actions, not his words, exactly how much he wants to be a St. Louis Cardinal.
2: Yeah, and that's where I feel like it plays more into Nolan Arenado and understanding the position that he's in because hypothetically, let's say he was with the Colorado Rockies still. Never the trade happened with the Cardinals he'd be opting out of that contract Absolutely. because there's no competition there. And you're looking at it and you you can just tell individuals which is more important and everybody wants to win the championship, but is it money or is it that championship? And Nolan Arenado made his intentions very clear this off season when he said, I'm not opting out of this. You were able to sign Wilson Contreras this offseason with the money that it probably would have costed to re-sign Nolan Arenado. You make yourself a more competitive team. Nolan Arenado just once again stole the hearts of St. Louis Cardinals fans because of those comments.
0: Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, there is a lot of speculation on what the Blues are going to do at the trade deadline. Will it include moving on from Colton Pareko? Will it include adding Jacob Chikrin? Going to look at some of the recent trades that have taken place in the NHL that included a young defenseman like Chikrin that got a first-round pick in return that had multiple years of control remaining. Spoiler alert, there's not a whole lot of comparisons for what we could see at the deadline this year for Jacob Chikrin. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, an NFL rule change that could take place that Tanner hates and I love. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: I'm Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this. Dean Blandino was on ESPN radio. He, of course, is one of the XFLs guys when it comes to their officiating side of things. And he was talking with them about a rule change that could be taking place in the NFL. Here's Dean Blandino.
4: I think there's some NFL clubs that are going to propose the fourth and 15. It's been on, on the table before. And I think especially what you saw happen in our week one game with St. Louis and being able to get that fourth and 15, they're down 12 points with a minute plus left to go. And they
0: end up winning the game because they convert that fourth and 15. I think we're going to see that discussed in the NFL. And I think there's going to be a proposal. Now, will it get passed? I don't know. But I think we're going to see something get get you know really discussed with the NFL for, for next season. According to Diana Rossini, this has indeed taken place. She says that Philly once again proposed a rule change. Of course, Nick Sirianni, Mr. Fourth Down says, bring it to us, boys! They're taking it to a vote at the annual owners meeting late in March. They will need at least 24 votes from teams in order to pass this, and if you're not familiar with what Dean Blandino is referencing there of the 4th and 15, in the XFL instead of the onside kick, they do a 4th and 15, where is it, from the own 25, I think it was. Yeah. And if you're able to convert, you continue, just as if you would on an onside kick. If you don't convert on that 4th and 15, the other team takes over wherever you finished, and then they can go in, go in the other direction. I love it. I think that the NFL's onside kick rules have been officiated in a way at this point, or legislated in a way, that you it's almost impossible. It's like 5% of the onside kicks are actually recovered now. You might as well not even attempt it. Maybe some people think that it should be a fourth and twenty instead of a fourth and fifteen. I think fourth and fifteen is is more than reasonable. Um, I, I would love to see this implemented into the NFL. I don't think you're going to see. I think one of the concerns for people is, well, what if teams just start going for fourth and fifteen all the time? Man, do you Good. know how hesitant NFL teams are to go for it on fourth and three from their own twenty five in the in the Super Bowl with Nick Sirianni, who's as gutsy as in any coach in the NFL on these decisions? It was what fourth and four from their own 35 against Patrick Mahomes with like three minutes to go and they kicked the ball. You think that there's going to be a bunch of teams that are concerned about potentially going forward on fourth and 15? It ain't happening unless it is a do or die scenario where you would otherwise go for the onside kick. I think we should absolutely see this implemented. I would be shocked if it passes this time around, but I think at some point in the future, we will see this as a rule change in the NFL. Good.
2: Good. It's called excitement and it brings more energy to the game and I'm here for it. I like kicking, okay? Nobody likes kicking. Yeah, Even the do. kickers don't like kicking because they're worried they're going to get hurt. This is awesome. Now, Nick Sirianni is going to abuse the hell out of this. I don't think he will. That's the thing is like uh, in the regular rim. season I can totally see him doing I it. I think
3: I think we will see I, I can't remember what the number is. I maybe it's 4th and 10, not 4th and 15. But I always remember there, there was a book that was written about like what you should do as a football team, and kicking was never the option. You should always – uh, you, or sorry, the odds were you should always go for the onside kick, and I think this was prior to what you were saying yeah, where they changed year, it. Yeah, last
0: year, the regular season, it was three recoveries on 56 attempts. You should not be kicking the onside kick anymore.
3: And, and, but I just wonder if – and again, I don't think it would happen, but I, I would be curious to know like people that are in analytics departments if they would say, you know – if you have an elite quarterback, what can you do on fourth and fifteen? You probably have a better shot of getting it than, I don't know, say kicking the ball away and getting a stop, potentially.
0: I don't think that would be the case. I think you'd got like you've got like a 15 to 20% chance, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I've looked this up recently, of converting that fourth and fifteen, getting a stop. If you get a stop on only 15% of your attempts defensively you are the worst defense in the history of the nfl congrats like, by far <laughs> so i don't think that there would be any scenario in which this is just like a hey we're going for it on every fourth and 15 after we score no chance um i i think that the only time that you can do this in the n or in the yeah, xfl is in the fourth in, quarter by the way and apparently they said but you have to be down by at least a touchdown sure i, I don't think that you, you even need that caveat i think you just say like I I don't even think you need any of this. Like You just say this is a new rule. You can go for it. You have to declare, of course, prior to it, that you're going for it on 4th and 15 instead of kicking off. And then you just see if you've got it. I, I would love to see it in the NFL. I don't think that this would be taken advantage of. And even if it is, dude, the risk of it is very real. If you don't convert, now if I'm the opposing offense, like let's say it's Chiefs versus Bengals in the AFC Championship game next year. And you've got your Bengals. You're going for it on fourth and 15 because you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. You have got this explosive, great offense, right? If you don't get that fourth and 15, now Patrick Mahomes has to go 30 yards to score. You think that's
2: so? That's what I was going to ask. So they don't convert on it. The team takes the ball at that spot. Yeah, 30 yards. Same as an onside kick. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I love this.
0: I do not think this is something that would be taken advantage of. And again, if it did, oh. there is real risk there of if you don't convert, you're giving the opposing team at least three points. How much does this sway
2: uh, the betting side of things? Because maybe this gets converted more than onside kicks and
0: maybe you don't hit the over under as much. I mean, it, it would be hard mm. to convert at a lower rate yeah. than onside kicks. God. Onside kicks are basically like that's going to be fun. Three out of 56 last year, nine out of 56 the year before that and three out of 70 the year prior, it it, it is essentially close to an impossible play at this point in the NFL. So I think this is something they should take a serious look into, and I would recommend the league adopt this rule. Uh, Continuing on with NFL quick hitters, guys, Carson Wentz was officially released yesterday by the Washington Commanders. Really, who could have seen it coming? Does he have any chance of being a starting quarterback again in the NFL? No. The three teams now you've had your shot with. Mm -hmm. And all of them basically said, I don't want you to be around any longer. Please go away. I I look at that as
2: the information that was leaked out after Indy where he was a problem and they said, like, we got to move on from this. That just hurt his. He had his last chance with Washington and it didn't work. And when you get a new offensive coordinator as highly touted as Eric Biennemi and you get cut, that's pretty much it. You'll get a backup spot.
3: I, I, don't I don't even know, even know if he, he gets a backup spot yeah, say, if he's it, a problem. If there's a quote-unquote problem that he had in Indy, he may not get a backup spot. He may be playing in the XFL or the USFL next season. I mean, hell, the Guardians need a quarterback right now in the XFL. Maybe he signs there, but I, I don't think he's going to be a starter. I might, I would honestly be stunned if he ends up being a backup just because of the issues that we heard that occurred in Indianapolis. Uh, I
0: think he'll get a job somewhere just because he – Alex, you mentioned all the time with NHL players, the draft capital – he was a top-five pick, and I think somebody will pick him up as a backup, but I would be shocked you know if he who goes I wonder? into the season as a, as a starter. Do the Chiefs get him? No. As a backup since uh, Chad Henney's? They they care way too much about the chemistry in that room, and they, they want the backup quarterback. The reason why they kept Chad Henney around so long is because he was like an extra coach yeah. in the room. So, so what- I think they, they, they had Matt Moore. No. They've had Chad Henney. What about I- Doug Peterson in Jacksonville? I don't know who their backup is i don't him and doug did not see eye to eye they didn't get along at all in the
3: the team i would keep an eye on just because i know them personally and i know they're searching for a backup would be the Rams. they they, might have interest i think their hope is that baker will and if not they supposedly have interest in hendon hooker in tennessee to draft as a potential backup and how
2: about this i could see maybe the bucks
0: i was well i'm glad you brought that up they just released leonard fournette i do you guys think that leonard fournette's a starter anywhere next year I I, in the, I I would have no interest in my team Picking him in up. the right like if system I feel
2: like he would Be I mean he was influential In Tampa Bay winning that Super
0: Bowl Yeah he's had some moments For the majority of his career I think he's been a, a massive Disappointment compared to expectations too, man. I know but in the NFL As a running back I know, 98
2: 40. Is like, <laughs> God I mean he's a tank Out there I,
3: I I, feel like he's still Got more in him I wouldn't sign him as a starter I, I'd have interest in like if the Rams Said hey let's bring him to be a you know, power running back on the goal line. He fit with the Rams sure. because
2: nobody can stay healthy on their running back core. It's I, not
3: fair. Cam was healthy. They eh, just didn't yeah. want to play. Was he? Trying like if the
0: Cowboys decide to release Ezekiel Elliott and bring back Tony Pollard, I could see them bringing in. That would a make Leonard a lot of Fournette sense. As like a change of pace, we need a power runner. Type that of would thing. make a lot of sense. Somebody like that, I could I could see maybe bringing him in, but I don't think he's going to be a like legit number one running back again in his career all right final thing here yesterday there was a i guess newsy story when uh former offensive tackle for the tennessee titans taylor Luan, went on a podcast and said he would never play for another team in the afc south of course play into the tennessee fan base here he was cut by the titans after having uh some up and down years there mostly dealing with some injuries recently reason i wanted to bring this up if you were an nfl player and you could get a nhl style no trade clause alex and you could say i'm not going to any of these five teams what would your five team no trade list look like right now in the nfl who would you say i am under no circumstances playing for that organization right now
2: cleveland that was on my list really? uh, yeah, yeah
0: cleveland new orleans New Orleans? Yeah. I'm surprised by that oh, I would want to live in New Orleans. I would
2: want to live in New Orleans, but I want to go to a competitive team that feels like they've got their ish together and they don't right now. Um, man, I'm trying to think of other... Washington's on my yeah, list. Yeah, Washington would be on the list. Detroit's I I- on
3: my list, which might surprise people. Uh, no, I, no, I would do Detroit. It's not, because, it's not because of talent, but that ownership group's been an issue since they've yeah. owned the team. New England might be on my list. I don't want to do the cold weather. I could see that. Yeah, I don't that's want to fair. do that cold weather. I'm trying to think of another one. So I got Minnesota's on my list just because I don't want to deal with that cold weather in Minnesota. Yeah, like,
2: but Minnesota's a competitive team, so yeah, it would be fun to be I've as a been player.
3: Minnesota. Well, I get that. Well, you're going we'll have no issue if I never going went to back. Columbus for a hockey game. Man, well, they don't have an NFL team. They'd be um,
2: on the list. Too. They do. Well, yeah. Oh, God, I'm trying to think of another one. I don't know if there's. Those would be the four for me right now. Arizona.
0: Yeah, but Arizona is pretty awesome to live. I have no interest in playing for Arizona. None, none yeah. whatsoever. Did you guys oh, see I the Jonathan Gannon interview? Yeah, shoo, great. Shoo, 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 shoo. Shots. I don't need that. What the hell was that, man?
2: Did Did you not see his? No, I saw the uncomfortable conversations oh. he was
0: having. I didn't see the finger. The oh, I'll have to show this to finger. you in the break. If you haven't seen Jonathan Gannon talking to... Um, oh, yeah, Houston. Houston might be on this list, who too. Who was it? I, I wouldn't have them on the list anymore. Now that they've got D'Amico Ryans as their head yeah, coach, I, I would be okay Their with ownership that. still doesn't have their stuff together. Yeah. It's not great, but I think it's better Someone now. said the, the, the
2: Jets. I would go to the Jets, no problem. Oh, yeah, New I would York. love to it's live New in New York, York. But it's a team that looks like they're
3: getting their stuff together.
0: I thought about putting Denver on this, but I would love to live in Denver. Yeah.
3: Denver's not, I liked Denver when I went.
0: Oh, Denver's great.
3: Yeah. Beautiful scenery. I'm in.
0: (laughs) I would be willing to play there. I just would not really want to be teammates with Russell Wilson. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind, but coming up next. If you look back at the last decade, how many trades have we seen like Jacob Chikrin? Young, legit, potential number one defenseman with multiple years of club control remaining where everybody else in the NHL valued him at a first round pick. What can we look back to as historical references for that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Count that, that big bang.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. All right, so you guys know that I like to look for historical context, historical comparisons for trades to figure out, okay, what what are we really talking about here? How often do these kinds of things work out? And so as we're talking about Jacob Chikrin and the possibility of him coming to St. Louis for, I don't know, the 7,000th time over the course of the last two years, I finally went and decided to do the research on this. <laughs> Slack much? Alex, over the last 10 years, I looked into every defenseman that was traded for a first-round pick. Now there was honestly more than I expected there to be, but a lot of them were expiring deals. And so I, I tried to hone in on the search of okay, let's let's try to find a player like Jacob Chikrin that is young, has multiple years remaining on their contract at the time they were traded were traded for a first-round pick, and were considered to be like established NHL players at the time that they were dealt. So we're not talking about somebody that came in and was fresh in the NHL, had no real experience prior to the deal. Man, it is a slim pickings in terms of trying to find somebody similar to Jacob Chikrin. If you're looking for somebody that is actually his age or he's 24 years old, it's basically Brandon Montour, and that's it. In terms of a comparison, maybe you could say I am going to definitely butcher the gentleman's name. Brady Sky, I think, um, with Carolina? Yeah, I think it's, God, it's, it, no, a Shea. Brady Shea, Brady that's what Shea. it is. Yeah, I was going to um, say,
2: I know it's a weird pronoun-
0: he pronunciation. He was traded in 2019. He was 25 years old, had four years left of control when he was dealt to the Carolina Hurricanes. So that's probably the other one that's most similar. But, man, deals like this. And I think this is probably why it's taken so long to trade Jacob Chikrin. It just doesn't happen to find a legit established NHL defenseman, even if you don't think he's a legitimate number one under club control for multiple years, which Chikrin is at that age, the only historical context, there's two of them in the last decade like this.
2: Well, and the other thing with Jacob Chikrin too, is and the reason I would imagine people or teams aren't willing to, to, fork over what Arizona is asking for is the injury risk with that. You play that into consideration because the other guys that were traded that got those returns, maybe they didn't have injuries tied into it where Jacob Chikrin really has never played an 82-game schedule. So that also plays into this. That's the thing with him. It's a unicorn and probably the reason it's taken three years to figure out if he's going to get traded. But if you're Bill Armstrong, you know what you have. And if you're other teams, you know what you're trading for. And that's the difficult part in this. So it's so tough to comp something like this elsewhere. Like a Ryan O'Reilly trade, you could comp a pending UFA, who was a, a captain at that age, or a guy who's got term on his contract. You can always look at that. But when you talk about a defenseman, which is such a highly touted position in the NHL, then you add in control at a really good rate and then add in his age. It's just a really tough thing to... To assess, and I think I always go back to what we've had national analysts tell us, it's going to be a first-round pick, and it's going to be the equivalent of a prospect who was a first-round pick. Probably the reason why it's taken so long for this to happen and why Bill Armstrong hasn't moved, because teams aren't willing to give that up for a guy who's got injury risk, but Bill's not going to, he's not going to waver on the return.
0: So... I, if you want the full context of, OK, who were the other players that are even close to being in this category of uh, NHL defensemen, established players, got a first round pick in a trade and had more than a year left of club control when they were dealt. One of them, Jay Bomeister in 2012, he was traded to St. Louis, had a year and a half left of control at the time. He was 29, though. So he was he was in that Colton Pareco range of age as opposed to a guy who was in, you know, 24, 25 age range, had a year and a half left of control at that point in time, ended up, of course, re-signing here in St. Louis. And his his cap hit at the time was six and a half million dollars. And you got to remember, the cap was much lower in 2012 than it is right now. And Jacob Chikrin is at four and a half million dollars right now. So he was taking up a significantly higher portion of the Blues cap then. Uh, Travis Hamanick was 27 years old when he was traded uh, to Calgary. He had two and a half years left on his deal. So in terms of the contract, kind of similar to what you're seeing right now with Jacob Chikrin. Ryan McDonough was 28 when he was traded to Tampa Bay. Had a year and a half left on his deal, but did quickly sign an extension there. So there are some similarities with that. That was in 2017. Uh, Jake Muzzin, 29 years old, had a year and a half left on his deal when he was traded to Toronto. Ended up with an extension there. Mentioned Brandon Montour. And then uh, you also have a guy that I just mentioned a little bit ago as well with Brandon Shea in Carolina. That's it. That's the entire list. The six players over the last decade that had multiple years of control that were traded for a first round pick on the blue line. So it it's just, I, I think that that's why it's very difficult for us to be able to come up with what is it going to take and for why it's difficult for other teams to be able to sh- sell those assets off, because there's, there's not a lot of references that you can go back on and say, was this worth it for the team that did acquire that player? Did they end up getting everything that they were hoping for out of that respective player? When you think about those six that I m- mentioned, Alex, and just, kind of in your mind, internalize what they were, what they became, and you compare it to Chikrin, how does it make you feel about a potential Jacob Chikrin deal?
2: Or does it influence it at all? It does. Uh, Not great in terms of I don't want Doug to do it if it's going to be that expensive. Um, Because like I've mentioned in the past, you're giving up a first-round pick, probably both of the first-round picks that you've acquired in this draft, Um, and you're giving up Jimmy Snuggerud. Because that's what if you're Bill Armstrong, if I'm Bill Armstrong, I'm asking for him because he plays with Logan Cooley, my other first-round pick, and they're on the same trajectory of being on this team. And if I'm Doug, I'm not doing that, because I, I kind of need Jimmy Snuggerud, and I'm needing him more than I'm going to need a Jacob Chikrin, who, as much as I think he's a great defenseman, might not be the fix to this. Now, with this Colton Pareco news coming out, I'm leaning more towards the return of what a Colton Pareco gets you than I am a Jacob Chikrin. Because if you're moving on from Colton Pareco, what are you? Are you if you are Doug, you got to be getting some type of defenseman in return because anybody who's going to trade for Pareco has got to give up salary cap. That might be the answer for Doug's ask on the defensive side. Uh, if it comes to what that return looks like, but man, it it just might be too close to that puke point for me with the Jacob Chickren. If it's getting to the level that they're still asking now, if he takes a step backwards and say, "Okay, we're not going to get this," so let's let's ease up on the throttle a little bit. Then I'd consider it because I do think Jacob Chikrin's a difference maker, but not to the point that it stunts your your retrenching that Doug Armstrong is labeled.
0: So there's a little bit of news in the NHL, not related to the Blues, but certainly within the division. According to Frank Saravalli, as expected, the Rangers are expected to acquire Patrick Kane. They are doing so for a 2023 second round pick that can become a first, so it's a conditional and a fourth round pick. Uh, they will do finish the three team trade tonight. It is possible, according to Frank Saravalli, that Patrick Kane will make his debut in a Rangers uniform on Philly against the Flyers. Alex, I do have one, I guess, brief take on this, and it's it's this. I think what I do respect a lot about Doug Armstrong is that he didn't hold on to this, this core of players in St. Louis too long. He didn't do what the Blackhawks did, which ultimately led to this— massive rebuild that they're stuck in right now, which is you, you resign all of the significant core pieces to mega deals. And then your young players almost get kind of backlogged. They get stuck, right? Panarin got stuck within their system. They've had some guys that are defensemen that have gotten stuck within their system and then they have to trade them elsewhere. They go on to have success elsewhere while they're veterans that are still pretty good players. They just aren't able to put it the core around them that they need to be able to contend again. Doug Armstrong didn't get the Blues into that place. He wasn't willing to take them to the spot of, okay, we've got this aging core that we're going to continue to hold on to as long as possible, and once we get to the end of these deals, it's going to be really hard for us to be able to compete. The Blackhawks went there. The Blues decided before they got, like crashed into the iceberg, they were going to veer off course, and they were going to go a different direction. So I do... I do respect that a lot about Doug Armstrong of not veering into that territory that the Blackhawks got into.
2: And as much as people don't agree with it, that comes with him not giving no movement clauses because you were kind of stuck in the situation. Now, it was the right decision to keep Kane and Taves and Keith and Seabrook with those no movement clauses because those were franchise-esque players and you got what you needed out of it. But those no-movement clauses, it's kind of what we talk about in baseball. Like, it's going to hurt at the back end of it. And that's what this did with Chicago, and it was a matter of letting it play itself out. Now you're going to move on from Patrick Kane, and you had to wait out Jonathan Taves until he's an unrestricted free agent because you couldn't move him because of his, his uh, illness that he's dealing with. Yeah. So, this, as much as we disagree with some of the moves that Doug Armstrong has done, the no-movement clauses has allowed him to get to this point where you can veer rather than stick with it. Now that doesn't negate the no trade clauses that he's given to these three four defensemen because you are semi stuck in this spot unless you find somebody who's going to be willing to take on that contract which if he is that's the difference between the Chicago Blackhawks and Doug Armstrong.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's the no move cuz I think Doug Armstrong's given out a bunch of the the no trades. And that's made it a little more difficult with some of their guys. I think it's the length of the contracts that's that's been more of a problem. And we'll see if that ends up becoming a problem for the car, or for the Blues as well. I think that part of it is they're getting out on the front end of some of these deals.
2: Yeah, but if Chicago could have, if you were able to ask them, they probably would have tried to move on from Kane and Taves a few years ago and start the rebuild process. But they couldn't because nobody was going to take on $11 million for players that were older and had three years left on their contract. Maybe, but
0: that's not about the no move. That's about the the deals becoming bad quicker than expected. That's about them not having value out on the open market. And I'm sure that we'll get some that say something about, hey, guys, it was it was totally worth it. They ended up getting three Stanley Cups. You wouldn't trade that for the world. And I agree. Like that that those prime years of 2010 through 2015 that that makes everything that comes after it for the most part worth it. The problem is since 2017 they have been awful like genuinely terrible 76 points 84 72 55 68 and this year they're at 47 one of the worst teams in the nhl once again they've been mired in controversy as well they have not made it past the first round since the 2015 stanley cup final everything since then has basically been a disaster in every possible way for the chicago blackhawks so as much as it was worth it to win that Stanley Cup final, you can see how quickly you go over the top of that mountain and then you come down and there is no easy way out of that if you get stuck. So one thing that I do respect, and I think this plays into the Pareco conversations, I think it plays into the Ryan O'Reilly conversations, what I do respect is that Doug Armstrong is willing and able to move on when he sees that there could be something coming that ends up veering them away from competing the following season. It's been a bad year. There's no doubt about it. You don't want this to snowball into five consecutive bad years. And that's what Doug Armstrong's trying to prevent right now. Coming up next, the Rewind here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be. Listening to us, it's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario.
3: Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan, featuring zero fees and zero
2: closing costs.
0: Show. Be sure to check it out at the podcast page, 101 ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. If you are texter number 55 for no reason at all at 314 399 964 on the air comfort service text line, you will win a chance to win, you will win a pair rather of single session passes for the State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. It's the 33, 30-30 33 annual MVC Tournament. It is taking place this th- Thursday through Sunday. You can check out the full details for tickets at 101ESPN.com, or you can text right now, 314-399-9646. The 55th texter will get the pair of passes to the MVC Tournament. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're excited to be back with you guys once again tomorrow afternoon and We will be beginning our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals 2023 season. So be sure to tune in tomorrow. We start our official countdown. We'll tell you who the honorable mentions were that missed the list. And we'll start with number 20 on the countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023. Excited to do that with you guys tomorrow. The Fast Lane's coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN.
2: Yeah, I was always an ugly duckling.